My goodness me. Here it is. Predictable. Well choreographed. Perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Grassroots, the only podcast dedicated to the Grassroots women's game. In this no-arms-tackle of a podcast, we welcome ref extraordinaire Fiona Brunt, who tells us all about what it's really like officiating grassroots rugby. We discuss changing positions and all the challenges that brings, chairs get smashed, and we talk about how best to coach a women's side. We hope you enjoy it. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for fun. She has got a remarkable strike rate. And I'm Jodie. The forward who can't stop scoring. And Molly. The cannonball coming through. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. Obviously, Josh has got a gammy hand. Need to make sure that I uh, prep the tea before I came on the pod. This has been an acid test if Luke has managed to get the new microphone to work. So, are you receiving us, Lou? Yes and no. Yes. Ah, you sound a bit distant. You sound like you're in a kitchen. <laughs> yes. So, the acid test, that's a no. Oh, no. What's happened? It's alkaline, not acid. Yeah, that charger isn't working. I don't know where another one is. Are you joking? That's a pain in the ass. And, of course, the headset I lent Katie is now vanishing to thin air. So. Wonder she does keep is. saying, like, oh, yeah. God, I forgot the headset. Like, I'll be fine. I'm going to have to go around the house, basically. The only way I'll ever get that back is if I go around the house. There's no other way for it, really. I can ask her repeatedly to bring it to training, and I just can't see it ever happening. You have to sit very close to your computer, Lee, basically. I am. Oh, that's <laughs> not so bad. It is a brand new laptop, though. I've had to give me old one back to work. Ah, uh, the struggles, and you've got to hand it back. You're like, shit, what am I going to use now? Well, I've also had to just download Chrome as well, which oh, no. is why I'm late. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd got time for a cig and a wine and download Chrome, but clearly not. So clearly not. obviously you can imagine what was my priority. So I think a good place to start tonight, Holly, is I think you need to tell us all about Josh's gammy finger, because that picture was something else. Yeah, so basically I uh, got a phone call about half past 11 in the morning from Josh, which never happens. We don't really speak when he's at work. And he was like, hi, babe. And I was like, hello. He's like, yeah, I've got a nail in my finger. So I was like, oh, you know, don't, it'll just be a splinter. He gets splinters all the time because he works with wood and building stuff. He's like, no, 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 I'm on the way to hospital. I was like, oh God, so it's peppercorn sauce gate too how bad is it and he's like well it's gone in and I was like right excellent well it's gone in quite far and I was like well how far and obviously I didn't know what was occurring so um his friend took him to A&E and I arrived and he was sat there (laughs) with a bandage but the nail was sticking out of the bandage (laughs) and I was like did you not try and pull it out and he's like that's the worst thing you can do but he did try and so obviously we might have to publish the x-ray to be honest to the Instagram but it had gone that far in. I think it was a millimetre off the bone. Oh, like, but it had got these two coiled springs attached to it. So they couldn't pull it out because one of the coiled springs was actually under a ligament. Oh, my God. Yeah, quite painful. I'm sat in A&E typing away on my laptop working. And obviously, Josh and me are giving each other a bit of banter. And, and the nurse looked at me like, who are you? You're a horrible girlfriend. Because I was just being like typical rugby banter, like, come on, man up, like, you know, stop being a fanny. Like, he's just sat there chilling with his nail and his finger. So 
we waited until half past six I bailed on training not great and then the nurse came around and said oh yeah by the way your surgery's been cancelled someone's come in with a a threat to a limb and I was like well it must be pretty bad if they're going to send him home with the nail in his hand so they sent him home with a shitload of antibiotics paracetamol that's all they said that he needed and he had to sleep with said nail in his hand all night so we had to swap sides on the bed because he couldn't have his left hand (laughs) in the bed which i was furious about and then bless him he didn't sleep and neither did i and then he went back in for surgery on Wednesday morning. Wow. But he was a bit of an oracle at the hospital. All these like young surgeons came in from um, orthopedics and were like, we've heard about you. You've had a nail in your hand for two days. <laughs> and they were all really buzzing for it, like dead excited to extract said nail. But in rugby terms, Josh's season is now over. He can't play again. Isn't it just a case you just put a plaster on it and you're good to go? Does he need anything more than that? It's more the infection, and he said that that's his good hand, so um, he needs to keep it. Take that how you will. I think I'm not the only person who thought, oh, it's, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, that's Molly and Josh's nailing time, and I completely got it mixed up completely. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, right, we were actually sat there having a conversation. He goes, well, I use that, and I said, I don't want to know what you use it for. I said, don't even finish that conversation and we were sat in the middle of A&E having this conversation and then um, we did fancy dress on Saturday didn't we for the rugby social Uh, and probably two days before the nailing incident Josh had joked about going as Jesus (laughs) so then in the family chat Dickie was getting a bit leery saying bloody hell Josh you've taken that a bit far mate I know you want to win the competition and best dressed (laughs) but you've gone a bit too far Um, and then Jodie came as Jesus but with no nails no I'm not that committed (laughs) but uni we had this thing called the heaven and hell ball and of course true to form all the girls went as horny devils as they always do at these things and all the lads went in in a variety of different things I remember one one lot actually went as undertakers and they made this ridiculous coffin out of cardboard and they had their little tiny mate in this coffin and they just carried him around all, all night, which is quite funky. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and like, of went as zombies and stuff. And my mate Will went as, he went as God. He went as the Almighty. He wanted to be like the, the, yeah, the pinnacle of the... Yeah, exactly. But Will's not known for his, for his fancy dress and also he's the tightest person ever to walk the earth. The last thing he was going to do is go and buy himself a decent costume. So he basically got a bed sheet and some Pritt stick and some cotton wool buds. Just basically just glued cotton wool buds all over his face, all over his body. And then just went with a pair of uh, Timberland boots, a bed sheet covered in cotton wool, basically. That was his costume. Ingenious. Of course, like, it was all well and good until later on in the night. Well, two things happened. First of all, he had his toga ripped off him by... Some lads, probably me. Of course he did. <laughs> yeah. It was so hot in the student union, he was just sweating like a bastard. But because he covered himself in Pritt stick, basically, it just clogged all his pores. So by the end of the night, he had no beard left or anything, just bits of cotton wool just stuck to it. And just boils and like like massive wow. spots all over his body, all under his arms, Damn. all over his chest. I think he was just walking was around the union in a, yeah, in a pair of Timberland boots, his boxer short, just covered in pussy spots. It was the most disgusting Ew. thing. I reckon that's God's revenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was smited <laughs> for his blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> so how was the social anyway? It sounded pretty eventful. Oh, yeah. It was good. We survived, didn't we? Just. It was really good. So we had to dress up as something beginning with the first letter 
of our name. What would you have gone as, Matt? Oh, I don't know. You put me on the spot there. I think I just chose mine based on what I could find in the house. I like, oh, I got a I go as you. I just go as you, Molly. What would you wear? And if you say gloves, gloves yes, yes, yes. What a great job. gloves, a bum knee bag. pads. <laughs> yep. Knee pads. What else? Right, listen, the bum bag is a staple item of any night out, as we've discussed. However, I didn't bloody take it on uh, Saturday. Oh, it would have come in handy. You needed a tea sandwich. Well, we need to talk about snacks. Oh, so, I've got a bone to pick about food as well from the game. So <laughs> Katie, our captain, who has starred on the pod, nearly died through pizza. I don't even know how many pizzas she had. So we were, <laughs> like, she just basically overdosed on pizza. So we were sat in the club before we left Sheffield and there was a pizza, like a fire, so, yeah, wood yeah. fire. That's what I needed. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So Katie dipped in a bit of Nicole's pizza. We get to Harrison's. Katie's getting a bit well-oiled. And I was just about to go to the Wickstead. Katie goes, right, I'm going to get a pizza. I said, what? She literally left the pub within seconds, went to pizza parlour, engulfed a 12-inch pizza, then arrived back at the Wickstead, got even more shit-faced, went to the studio, went home, and on the way back to Rembury, decided she needed another pizza. (laughs) (laughs) How many times was she sick during the course of the night, though? That's the thing with her, isn't it? So... She probably at least twice. At least twice. So oh. there you go. So it was actually a, she only net ate two pizzas. It was like literally <laughs> yeah. one in, one out. <laughs> one in, one out. Oh or or two in, one out, possibly. So she was maybe only net two up at the end of the evening. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that sounds pretty eventful. Actually, speaking of injuries and uh, Josh being quizzed about his, his injury, do you remember that time when Katie? I think she was stopped by somebody in the supermarket. She had a massive black eye playing rugby. Yeah, because weren't they asking about domestic abuse? Yeah, somebody took her aside and said, do you want to tell us something in confidence? And, you know, would you like to go somewhere private so we can we can help you? And, and all this well, she was Scott stuff. at the like, time. No, rugby. Yeah. After spending about five minutes with her, they probably thought, you know what, she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She could take care of herself. herself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Scott, would you like to talk to somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything we can help you with? Here's a business card. Call this number. <laughs> Going back to the food thing... I'm really annoyed about the weekend. So luckily I packed food with me. But on the bus there, lovely Lily's mum and dad bring food. They bring sausage and bacon rolls. I can't eat that, but it's lovely of them to do that. Uh, I then go to the clubhouse. I see the food afterwards. They don't get fed Sheffield. That's an issue. I'd be so upset. They're not fed at all? They're not fed. No, they're not fed. They just feed the away team. They do get food after training on a weeknight. They get to pick which one. So they can either have food after a game at the weekend or they can stay for food after training. So okay. I don't know. But still, it is a bit naff on game day that you don't get fed. So we're all waiting around for ages for this food. We're like, where is it? Are we going to be fed? They just bring out like a big tin of pasta bake. I see cheese in it. I'm like, okay, so I'll just ask someone, where's the vegan option? Just to be difficult. It's like, oh, we'll go find it now. She disappears off for 10 minutes. And I go check with Dubs. It's like, Dubs, you ordered the vegan uh, option, didn't you? She's like, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. Then I'm waiting around. Another 10 minutes passes. Like, okay, they've not got a vegan option. I'll go to the pizza bit, see if they've got any vegan pizzas. No vegan pizzas there. The lady comes back to me eventually. She goes, oh, yeah, we didn't get the order for the vegan meal. I'm like, yeah, you did. And obviously, exactly. And then obviously we're in Sheffield, so they don't have very many welcome breaks in the Peak District. So I just had to fill up on a bit of leftover garlic bread from Goose. And I was fuming. 
I was so hungry on that bus. Anyone spoke to me, I would have snapped at them. They probably don't meet vegans very often in Sheffield, do they? No, they've got quite a few vegan establishments in Sheffield. How was the garlic yeah. bread vegan? Garlic bread is vegan, usually. Not when no, you use garlic butter on it. Um, yeah, that is a very good point, Louise. <laughs> Sorry. They're using vegetable. Uh, it's vegetable oil. That's a vegetable spread type thing. Ugh. Vegetable oil on bread. No, no, like, as in, like, like they um, use like spread. It's yeah, made spread, isn't margarine, it? rather than butter. Oh, uh, right. Okay, fair enough. It doesn't sound very appetising. A bit of oil. You could have turned your bread into wine, like Jesus. I did try. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. To... <laughs> <laughs> then you wouldn't have cared that you wouldn't add any food. Yeah, I just get pissed. But I had like two pints, and I was merry off that because I'd not eaten anything. Right. So I was like, Ugh. do you remember that year that we all dressed up as you, Molly? Going back to uh, Matt dressing up as you. Yeah, Sherry dressed up as um, a prison officer with a cucumber and that really horrendous T-shirt. And she won Best Dressed because everyone was too scared of it with handcuffs and massive cucumber and some uh, Bongella. Well, most normal people are scared of Sherry. Never mind Sherry with a cucumber and some Bongella. I mean, (laughs) that would sting. Imagine the checkout lady staring at you as she goes and purchases that at the shop. Just those two items. It's probably Sherry's Amazon list. Can you imagine what's on there? <laughs> Alexa, please can you order some Bongella? Because Sherry's had problems with Alexa, hasn't she? Because she was listening to Naughty Stories, wasn't she? On Audible by her Alexa. What? You don't that's, the story. that's a headphone job, that is. You don't, right, exactly. you don't play that in the house. No, exactly. So she had her headphones connected to her Echo device. But of course, it's like a family thing, isn't it? So they've got echoes in all of their different rooms and her 13 year old daughter went to bed and wanted to like listen to a bedtime story and just said open audible and it went straight into black lace some story about 50 shades gray yeah the wicked landowner seducing the farm girl a a social service is gonna have to get involved (laughs) (laughs) daily dogging diaries or something (laughs) yeah it was yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the diaries of a dogger. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> it's hard enough playing with Sherry, never mind refing. She knows the basics and she, you know, she's a very, very talented player. She's a machine in the line out. She uses her netball skills and some of the offloads she does are unreal. Not rugby textbook at all, <laughs> but they look good. <laughs> but yeah, refing her, to be honest, she probably would just be like, what's this woman on about and <laughs> walk yeah. off. You get players like that and I'm used to refereeing players like that and generally in the first 10 minutes you spend some time trying to trying to find them on the pitch um, <laughs> and going, right, you're going to be a problem and you're going to be a problem and how am I going to referee effectively around you? Realistically, I want to avoid having to talk to you and having to explain decisions because it's just not going to go well. <laughs> What are the signs, Enviona? When you're looking around the group, what are you looking out for? With, with Shez, it's usually a quizzical blank look or she's maybe lined up with the other team by accident or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some you get and you're like, right, okay, I, I think... The problem with you is you you just don't understand the laws. But some of them, it's you can tell by the way they're sort of, you know, team talks are great and you can see where the passion is, but you get quite used to going, right, this is a player that's passionate and is just trying to G up their teammates. And this is a player that just wants to hit something as hard as they can (laughs) and they don't care if it's legal or not. (laughs) And so it's trying to make that distinction. And it, it takes a few seasons to try and, 
figure that out. But once you get it, you you can tell. And I often find that the chat and the team talk that you do before the game can really help. And I use it as a tool to try and figure out what the temperature of the team is and and how this game is going to go. I try and be quite relaxed and if I can, I try and have a bit of a laugh in the team talk to try and see who my allies are. So who I can go to, for example, if the captain goes down, right, who am I going to talk to then? And also who maybe isn't giving me any eye contact. And I go, "Mm, I don't know if you like authority or if you like referees. I don't think you trust me. I think that's really key. As a referee, you're coming in and and none of the players know you. And the players have to accept your decisions for 80 minutes. And that's a big trust thing. And having to try and build trust in a a few minutes at the start of the game is key to how well you're going to be able to referee the game and keep the players safe and keep it competitive. And so a lot of your job in the first 10 minutes is trying to encourage players to trust you. That I know what I'm doing. Trust me. I've got this. You don't need to worry about, well, what if she misses this and what if she misses that? I'm going to do it for you and you're going to be fine. You just need to trust me. And, uh, and you can tell the players that straight off the bat, they're like, don't trust this person. No way. <laughs> Are they the ones with the uh, ankle tag covered up with tape on their foot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 effectively, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting, though, that you've obviously given that perspective because I think I've never thought of it like that. And, I mean, I've refed, and I know Matt has, junior games and training matches with the senior teams, etc. But I didn't think about it from another point of view of actually what's going to make the ref's life easier. For example, like when I'm captain or vice captain or even just a player on the pitch, I always, you know, try and make the ref feel welcome, make sure they've got water. Our team's very good at making sure we take the halftime snacks over, etc. But I never thought about how impactful that first team talk with that team is of understanding one who is going to be a pain in the ass this match <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> two like and, and just who doesn't get the laws and especially with the 50 22 rule uh, law this season when the refs start talking about it i just kind of say sir or, or miss don't bother <laughs> because half <laughs> of us don't get it it's just not worth it we're still trying to teach people that they can't go off the feet Uh, and play with the ball like this is way beyond us I think it's really cool that you've kind of explained the other side of it Fiona tell us a bit about your journey then it's obviously picks up something on Twitter you put about you you know you had a bit of stick in in a game or something I thought I'd love to have a female ref on the pod because we talk about rest all the time part jokingly part lovingly and I thought that'd be a great perspective to have so tell us a little bit about your journey Funnily enough, and it's actually quite unusual for a referee, I never played. I came to it straight in as a referee. And I did that because my dad's a ref. So I grew up on the touchline at rugby clubs, but not supporting either team, basically watching him get a load of stick. So it seems like a really weird thing to go, yeah, that sounds good. I'll uh, I'll go and do that. But it was about four years ago. So I was sort of mid-20s. And I just thought, you know what, I should really give this a go. I'll probably hate it. I'll probably be no good at it, but I don't think playing is for me, but I really love rugby and I love watching it and and I think it's just brilliant and I want to be involved. So, right, let's try refereeing because I've got my own coach there already um, and support network. And so I gave it a go and really just didn't look back. I just love it. 
And it's difficult to explain to people, firstly, who, who don't understand rugby. It's almost impossible to explain why I like refereeing a law book as thick as ours. Um, <laughs> and then it's, it's also quite difficult to explain it to players who just go, I just don't understand. Why would you want to referee? And you go, I know it seems bonkers. It's great. I love the challenge of it. And I think that's um, a big part of it. And what we were saying about trying to get players to trust you, that can be really difficult. And taking a, a law book as thick as ours and going, right, if I apply all these laws for this game, I'm going to ruin it. We've all seen referees who are just like, well, that's the law. And so that's why I'm going to blow my whistle. And what you get is a whistle every 90 seconds. So what you're trying to do is go, okay, this is the situation. Something's happened. It's either a problem for player safety or it's preventing fair competition for the ball. So I'm going to have to step in here and blow my whistle. Right. Which law is it that has caused this unsafe situation or lack of competition? Right. That's the law I'll apply. That's the way you have to try and think about it. All the while you're running, <laughs> um, you're trying to communicate with players and you're trying to block out the noise from the touchline. And, and so it, it can be really difficult, but also really rewarding and, and great fun. And that's the main thing. I just I, I come off a pitch after 80 minutes and more often than not, I've got a huge smile on my face because I go, oh, that was great fun. I really enjoyed that. The players were great. I was able to have a laugh. And I went through team sport with hockey. Yeah. And I miss it. You know, I yeah. miss that team environment for, you know, 80 minutes on a Saturday, on a Sunday, on a Wednesday afternoon. I get to sort of come back into that environment and almost insert myself into all different types of teams. Um, and it's great fun. Do you referee predominantly women's teams, Vienna, or, or, or both? Both. Generally, a, a typical week for me would be uh, a Wednesday afternoon game, which would generally be a university game. So I, I live quite close to Hartbury, so I often go up there. And that could be women, it could be men. Then a, a Saturday afternoon, generally that's a, a men's league game. And then a Sunday, either a, a kids game or a women's game. So I referee the whole gambit, which again presents its own challenge because if you refereed a kids game, I did quite recently, Tetbury have just set up a girls section, which is Tetbury's in Gloucestershire. And they asked me to come and referee their under 13 girls. And if I'd refereed the under 13 girls, the way that I'd refereed the men's match that Saturday, it wouldn't have been great. And the girls wouldn't have enjoyed it. So part of it is you referee different teams differently and you referee different levels differently. Again, you're, you're trying to create that balance. And what would you say across the genders is the main difference? <laughs> Great question. I think certainly when I first started, I actually preferred refereeing men. And that was mainly because I found them a bit more straight up. Whereas if you made a bad call in a women's game, what they'd do is they'd talk to each other about the bad call and about you in your hearing. It was quite bitchy. <laughs> but actually, as I've gone through, that seems like quite a low level grassroots issue. And actually, in the four years I've been doing it, we've moved on a lot and it's less likely to be that. So the main difference is now it's about men's rugby can be 
a lot more physical. You are more likely to get players deliberately cheating and doing so really aggressively. And then in the women's game, actually, you get, in my opinion, much better rugby. It is 30 players on a pitch trying to play rugby. And you get the odd one or two that really know what they're doing. And they're like, right, when our back's turned, we can do this. But in the main, it's contained and it is generally cleaner, better rugby. I think that tends to be the sort of main difference from a referee point of view. Both are good. I like refereeing both. They're just different. On the back of International Women's Day and all of that that's going on, because I coach an under-15 boys team, and I only started doing it this year. Like I've coached for a long time, but I've predominantly coached women or very young children, so the mini section. And I remember the first day <laughs> that I went to coach the boys, and they literally couldn't get their heads around it. So, ah! She knows what she's on about. She's coming to coach us. And they weren't nasty about it or anything like that. But it is a there is that gender stereotype still, isn't there, that potentially women are not as knowledgeable or and, and that's ever changing. And I think we will hopefully get to the stage where we are at level pegging. But have you experienced any kind of not sexism as such, but I suppose it is, when you've turned up to a, a male game and, and how did that make you feel? I think I have been luckier than I thought I'd be. Generally, you turn up and, and what you get is, oh, are you the ref? That's slightly surprised. <laughs> yeah. But then you go, yes, I am. And they go, oh, brilliant. So generally, a really positive reaction. You get the sort of backhanded compliment after that I've got more than once has been, oh, ref, you're as good as some of the blokes. Thank you. That's, uh, that's lovely. Thank you very much. Generally speaking, they do it from a, a good place. It's coming from a good place. They're just surprised. It's just out of, outside the normal for them. You know, if you spend 30 years playing, always being refereed by a bloke, and then suddenly I turn up, you're going to be a bit surprised. Uh, and I think that has to come with the territory until we have more female referees, which, you know, we're working on, but it's a slow process. So outright sexism, no, incredibly rare. Inadvertent, sometimes. There have definitely been occasions. I had one early this season and the player couldn't have felt more awful about it. But I asked him to step back or whatever it was. And he went, oh, yeah, sorry. Thanks, love. I turned around and I went, I think you mean sir. <laughs> I went, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Spent the next sort of, we had a good half left. Every five minutes, he'd come up and apologize again. I'm oh, so sorry for calling it. It's, like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But I just had to make the point. You do sometimes get. Love, darling. If you gently correct, yeah. <laughs> Sugar tits. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. I've not quite had that, but yeah. You gently correct them. I think you mean sir. Should we stick with sir? I suppose you're not bothered. Like sometimes if I'm reffing and they call me sir, I'm like, oh, whatever. But do you ever like when you do the talk say, I want to be called sir or I'll take miss or, or what's the kind of preferred or you're just really not bothered? I always start my team talk with that so I go hi I'm Fiona I'm your referee look I'll get this out of the way right at the start no I'm not going to be offended if you call me sir and generally it gets a laugh and sometimes with the blokes it gets a sigh of relief and they're like oh because that's what they were worrying about they saw me and they went well what are we going to call her 
The problem that we have is if we don't address it and go, do you know what? Sir is fine. Sir is nice and short and quick. It's respectful and it's what everyone's used to. So if you were to go, no, I don't want to be called sir. And and I know some female referees really don't like it. It's personal choice. Uh, situation but then you've got players going miss uh mum uh uh, uh, <laughs> sir, uh. and Love you it. you completely lose the point and the thread of what they're trying to ask you and there's no point i don't see the point in having that panic because you can see it in the player's eyes they're like oh my god i don't know what to call you and actually you you lose the point of why you're there i'm there to facilitate a game and as long as players are respectful and polite I don't care. So it's much easier for them to call me sir. And frankly, after four years, I'm pretty used to it. So uh, sir is absolutely fine. But generally speaking, female referees will know what to address and they will address it to start with. The only time that I don't do it is with kids when they're at school. So at that point, I go, what do you call your female teachers? And they might say, miss. They might say, madam, whatever it is. And I go, right, call me that because it's a school environment and they should be used to saying, using a respectful term for a woman. Earlier this season, I was quite lucky. I managed to get um, appointed to a women's game, the army against the police, which was a fantastic game. It was an older shot. It was brilliant. But of course, there was no way that either the police or or anyone in the army was going to call me sir because they're used to being able to address female officers. So at that point, it wasn't a problem. So you pick your moment. But generally at grassroots, just call me sir is uh, is how I go. That any males that are listening, because we do have some... Uh... Men that listen to the pod, if Fiona ever gets assigned to your game, sir is fine, but sugar tits is an absolute no. Yeah, an absolute no. <laughs> absolute hard no. I, you, yeah, hard, hard no. no. You will get corrected. Okay. And the card. <laughs> Quite possibly. It depends yeah. in what fashion they say In it. what context. Fiona, one thing that I found since I stopped playing really frustrating, so I remember as a player, you know, incidents involving referees were generally very rare. You occasionally have a bit of a flare-up and there'd be, a, you know, some behaviour on the pitch that was questionable and players were typically you know sent from the field I mean I, I as a captain sent one of my own players from the field once because of his behavior towards the referee and the referee wasn't about to pull out a card you know I, I subbed him off as a result on the whole I'd say that the players are well drilled in consequences of abusing referees however on the touchlines it's a different matter isn't it I've been very embarrassed at my own club by some of the behavior towards referees and it seems to be rife across all clubs Particularly, dare I say, older retired players with their mates and a beer, they, they seem to have no filter when it comes to the way they barrack opposition coaches and the ref. It is a problem and it's actually more of a problem following COVID. I think that year and a bit of not being able to go and stand on the touchline, not being able to be all around the sort of rugby ethos of respect. I think that has had a a real impact and we are seeing an uptick in referee abuse. And as you say, it is mainly coming from the touchline. And generally speaking, when you're in the middle of of a rugby pitch running at full pelt, you can't hear it. There are occasions where you can. It can be demoralizing and it can be, it can get in your head. And, you know, nobody wants to give up their Saturday afternoon to be abused from the touchline by people who actually haven't played for 20 years and don't actually know the law that can be the most irritating thing when uh, you're getting advice that 
you're going, no, that's not right. <laughs> it's about how you deal with it. I mean, I had um, a situation quite recently at a ladies match and effectively it sounds like I missed a knock on, right? The most minor thing you could possibly miss really. And uh, a try was scored following the knock on. So I award it and the coach comes on, tries to talk to me and I go, no. I've refereed for long enough that you have to shut it down right at the start. And you go, no, that's really kind of you. I'll talk to you in the bar. Not right now. And so he goes off and then the touchline gets involved. And this one particular bloke decides to suggest that I was being paid by the opposition. Now, I can let most things go, but... <laughs> that old chestnut, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not being paid by anyone. <laughs> so I'm definitely not being paid by the opposition. So I turn around and I go, excuse me, rugby values, and he keeps going. So what I actually did is I got the coach of his team. And I went, you come over here. And I called him into the middle of the pitch as well. And I basically, I gave him a bit of a dressing down. And I was like, no, this is rugby. We don't do this. You have one more opportunity. You be quiet or you will not stay on this touchline. And he had a bit more of a crack at me. And then suddenly from behind me, I hear one of the players going, dad, shut up. (laughs) And funnily enough, I didn't get a peep of anybody on the touchline for the rest of the match. So it's just about how you deal with it. Sometimes it's not possible to do that. I was quite lucky. He was basically the only one making any noise. You can't really do it with 10 old blokes. But actually, what you try and do as a ref and what you're told to do as a ref is if you can deal with it yourself, do it. Get the captain involved, get the chairman involved and go, this is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to keep your touchline respectful. If you can't do that, there's actually a really rigorous process. We're in a society. So referees are uh, effectively in their own club, regional clubs called societies that appoint us. And the support is definitely there. And the RFU are, are really good at helping with any really bad incidents of that. So it's about if you can deal with it, great. If not, you just put in a report and it goes to the club and it can be incredibly severe for them. So sanctions can include points deductions. It can affect their place in the league if they can't keep their touchline quiet. So although, yeah, it it is prevalent in the game, it is a problem at the moment. Certainly the RFU, they've got a policy at the moment called Speak Up. And particularly as a female referee, I feel incredibly supported. Anything that even sniffs at sexism is stamped on with a force you wouldn't believe. Yes, it's a problem. If you can deal with it, I do. <laughs> and it and it helps that I'm relatively senior. So I feel like I can do that. But the reason I do it is not for me. It's for next week, it's some 17-year-old kid refereeing it who doesn't have the experience, wouldn't be able to deal with it. And if they got what I got, might go, oh, I can't do this anymore and give up. And then we've got one less referee. And so one less game a weekend gets a referee. So that's why I do it rather than it. I've got pretty thick skin. It probably doesn't really affect me. It can affect referees and referees' mental health is a big problem as well. I know you've spoken about players' mental health on the pod before. We're the same. We're alone in the middle of a pitch for 80 minutes. Now, you're obviously very experienced now. And as you said yourself, you're, you know, you're quite a robust character. 
But as a player, you have a bad game. There's 14 others plus your coach to give you that pep talk and say, look, don't worry about it. These things happen. Get on with it. As a referee, and I'm sure there's times where you felt like you've had a bad game and you've probably been told you've had a bad game by an awful lot of people. How do you keep yourself positive and give yourself that kind of, it's just one of those days talk afterwards without it really getting in your head? It's a great question. It's difficult. It's really tough. If you make a mistake as a player, most of the time, you know, you're going to be told by a senior player, oh, you dingbat, why did you do that? And sometimes that's really helpful that you can go, yeah, yeah, I am. That was really stupid. As a referee, I give a bad call. I know I have. I know instantly. And actually, part of the problem is not letting that influence the rest of the game. So, you know, I know that I have to make another decision in the next two seconds. I need to park that mentally and go, right, okay, that was awful. I can't walk that back now. So I'm just going to have to deal with it. Right, okay, move on. And then, The way I deal with it personally is I go, okay, at the end of the game, I go, that wasn't great. You're right. All referees have bad games. And as you say, most of us know when we've had a bad game. So the drive home from the club, I give myself a bit of time to sort of wallow in it. And I go, oh, that was awful. And then I go, right, okay, what actually did I do wrong? How can I stop myself from making the same mistake? So a lot of refereeing is about process. So when you have, for example, a tackle situation, every tackle, I'm going through a checklist in my head so that I can ensure I get the first offence. That's a process that I've created after lots of times of doing this. Is it a tackle? Yes, it's a tackle. Has the player released? Yes. Has the ball carrier presented the ball only once? Hasn't rolled again? Yes. Okay. Are they holding on? Right. Have we got a ruck now? Okay. We've got offside lines. Is everybody onside? Okay. How's that ball got there? Has anybody actually used their hands in a ruck? They see Sherry on her hands and knees crawling through (laughs) (laughs) with with a big grin on her face. My ball. ball. If if nobody else is is stopping me from getting it, it's mine. It's got a 70% off sticker on the ball. That's what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about process. And so if you get the wrong decision, almost certainly your process has failed. If I can effectively take that incident and go, okay, I'm not going to think about the specifics of that incident because that's never going to happen again. What I'm going to think about and focus on is this thing behind it. Um, It's just a process thing. So that's how I find that I can detach myself from it slightly. I'm not going to lie. There are still calls that I wake up in the middle of the night and I sweat about because I just go, God, that was so awful and I'm so embarrassed by it. But trying to separate it and take the emotion out of it is really key. You know, there are definitely times where I come away from a game and I go, right, that's it. I'm never refereeing again. I'm terrible. I can't do this. And it's a confidence thing. And any referee that tells you that they've never had a bad game, I'm telling you now, isn't a great referee. It pains me to say it, but they're not because every referee has bad games. And so it's just about how you pick yourself up and go again. And what you need is a good game. And once I've had a good game after I've had a bad game, I'm fine again. And as I say, as long as you can improve your process and keep trying to get better, then no one can really argue. And part of what I try and do It'd be interesting to get a player's perspective on whether this is good or not. When I make a mistake, if I can walk it back, I do. So I go, oh, do you know what? No, that's not right, is it? I'm really sorry. That's my fault. 
this is actually the right call. Or if I can't do that, at the end of the game, I mean, I, there was one very early in my career, it was a men's game, and it was a scrum, and this scrum advanced about 30 metres before it stopped. And it stopped because the opposition prop went to his knee. Like, it was the clearest penalty I've ever seen, and I didn't give it. As I say, I mean, this is two years ago, and I can just, I can still see it in my head, and this still makes me sweat, because I'm like, I can't believe I just didn't give that. In the bar afterwards, I went up to every prop, and I went, I'm really sorry. That was rubbish, wasn't it? And they're like, yes, sir, it was. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I can't believe I did that. You should definitely have had the penalty. And sometimes it takes the sting out of the criticism that you're going to get if people can see that you're willing to put your hands up, hold your hands up and go, no, I fucked up. I'm really sorry. But I don't know whether actually players would prefer a ref that just made a decision, stuck to it rigidly, like, no, that is absolutely the right call, even if it's absolute pile of shit. I don't know. (laughs) um, But it's not me. And I prefer to referee with a bit more empathy than that. I think as a player, it's all about Fairness really isn't it, and I think if a call has influenced the flow of the game to the point where it's cost you the lead or it's cost you tries to get an opportunity to get back into a game or something, so that's when you feel as a player aggrieved, and when yeah. the ref doesn't acknowledge that mistake, it compounds that frustration. I think as a player, I would accept that the decision's been made and there's nothing I can do about it, and it might have had an impact. I played fly half for, for much of my playing career and things are sticking in my mind. Uh, you know, late tackles, particularly from back row forwards, were always a problem for me. I remember very vividly a time where I'd been hit late repeatedly by an open side. And I said to the referee, can I have a bit more protection, please? Because he's hitting me late. And I was getting the ball away, kicking, clearing the lines fine, but I was getting hit time and time again. Yeah. And the referee says, I'll uh, referee the game, you, you carry on playing or worse to that effect. Yeah, and I said, <laughs> sort of heat of battle. I said to him, "If you don't do something about it, I will." And he said, and then he said, "Well, that'll be foul play then." <laughs> Frankie came through to hit me late again. I sidestepped and punched him as he went through, and I got I got simbinned. Probably should have been red, to be fair. Yeah, uh, and I was livid because I asked the refs to specifically watch this player that was playing illegally, and I ended up being punished. Which then the knock on effect of that was it cost us the result, you know, because I was off the pitch for ten minutes. That I found irritating. The referee comes to me after the game and said, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't really spot it or yeah. it, I was in the heat. Whatever, it doesn't matter. That would have made me feel a little bit less homicidal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think that the interactions with players on the pitch is actually 80% of our job. It's not about the decisions you give. It's how you give them and how you communicate with the players throughout. So I've had it where I've had, comments from 15 players at the same time and it's too much and I, I can't cope so put it through your captain unfortunately is something that just needs to happen but I often say in the team talks I say look if time is dead and you've got a question for me I'm very happy to answer it and sometimes I feel that a, a lot of a lot of the frustration comes from I can't even talk to you about this I just want you to answer this question And actually, it's just about something technical or your interpretation of the law. And then they're happy. And so, you know, if I can pacify it by just answering the question, I'll try to. You know, I know lots of refs that are zero tolerance. No one talks to me but the captain. It's not happening. Go away. Shut up. It's a different style of refereeing. I can't say that it's wrong. I'll just say that that's not how I referee. And it's a conscious decision that I make that I'm not going to do it like that. You can see players just 
winding up and winding up and winding up and winding up and you're thinking, God, they're going to go off at one, you know, and maybe I'll see it. And almost as a referee, you just don't want to see it. <laughs> Do you know what? If, I, if I've missed late tackle after late tackle after late tackle, you've told the ref that he's missed it. So it's in the back of his head. It's like, right, I've missed that. And then suddenly he turns around and he sees you punch someone and he goes, oh no, I wish I hadn't seen that. And it would almost be better just not to see either incident. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't always work like that. It can be really difficult to try and deal with issues where players are getting really testy. And sometimes they're the best matches. And sometimes you go off the pitch and you're just like, oh my God, I didn't even run that much. I'm not tired because I ran. I'm tired mentally from trying to keep these two teams from killing each other for 80 minutes. And it's really difficult. At grassroots, I often say, look, effectively what I'm doing, my job is to, there's 30 players on the pitch, all cheating. And I have to pick who's cheating the worst at that particular moment. And that's really tough. (laughs) And you have to have eyes in the back of your head and you don't have a TMO and you don't have assistant referees and you just have to get on with it and do your best. But it's difficult. I really enjoy listening to ref stories. Now, we've had a a game at Crew where, unfortunately, the ref either didn't take a liking to us or just was a bit card-happy. And I think, yes, if someone's punching someone or they've persistently broke the laws, etc., I get we have to card, but we got six yellows in a game. Sherry was one of them, I think, actually. But that can ruin the game sometimes, so I think it's important... But like you said, to make sure that the way you're refing doesn't break the enjoyment of the game. But equally, the players are are following the laws. Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref. I hear you've got a story for stupid ref. I've got loads of stories for stupid ref, honestly. Um, But in one of the podcasts, you were talking about timings. And the point that was made was, I can't believe all the things that referees have to look at and they can't do something simple like time the game and keep the correct score. All you have to do is write down the score. Like that can't be difficult. (laughs) Well, a couple of weeks ago, (laughs) and I'm glad to say it doesn't happen very often, but a couple of weeks ago, I had a game and it was genuinely a tale of two halves. So all the points for one team were scored in the first half. And then in the second half, the other team was scoring all of the points. And how I do it, and different referees do it differently, is I add up as I go along. Because too often, you get a player going, what's the score? And rather than having to add up in your head, off the cuff, I just have it written down. I got to pull out my notepad after a score. And what I saw was the score above the score that had just been made. I hadn't put whether it had been converted or not. Oh no. And I just went and my heart sank and I was like, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember if it's been converted or not. I'm going, oh crap, right. And all I could remember is that this conversion had been right on the touchline. It was incredibly difficult. And I went, nah, he definitely didn't get that. And proceeded to keep going. And what we ended up with is with a minute to go, the scores were tied. Or at least I thought they were. So team comes up to kick off again. And they go, oh, what's the score, sir? And I go, we're tied. And they go, we're tied. We're tied. Oh, brilliant. And they keep going. And the opposition managed to get the ball from them and kick it straight out. I call time and they celebrate like I've never seen. And I'm going, what's going on? I don't understand. 
I'm going, we're definitely drawn. And then I have 10 players around me from different teams and a coach going, what's the score? We think we've won, but you've said that it's a draw. And it's the time where, as a referee, you draw on all your experience. So players, when scores and everything gets really tight, their sort of levels of excitement go through the roof, especially for blokes. All the testosterone, you can practically taste it in the air. As referees, we have to keep incredibly calm. So even though inside you're going, ah, on the external facade, you have to be really calm about it. So I'm, I'm going, it's going to be fine, lads. It's okay. Don't worry. We'll sort this out. Let's do the handshakes. Let's do the tunnel. And we'll figure it all out. Don't worry about it. And in my head, I'm going, I'm worried about it. This is awful. It's a league game. Firstly, referee society, certainly ours, you get a fine if it's a draw. So I'm going up. Realistically, I don't want this to be a draw. I'll probably get fined. But internally, I'm going, I have to go back to the bar with these blokes. And it doesn't matter how good I've been for the whole of this game. If I've got the score wrong, I'm going to be ostracised. No one's going to buy me a pint. So I've really got to get this sorted. I do the handshakes and I basically I scarper without making it look like I'm running away from the pitch. And what I've done is even without that conversion, I've added up wrong. It's not even close to being a draw. They've definitely oh, no. won. And I'm going, right, okay, it's fine, it's fine. Thankfully, the coach that's lost has kept score, knows he's lost. Oh, thank God for that. So thankfully, we don't have this full-blown argument on the touchline, but it was definitely a stupid ref moment. At the end of it, I was going, I can't that's believe I've bad. done that. I can't, you're four years, it's the first time I've ever done that. I thought my system worked quite well, but apparently I just can't add up. I've got loads, but that's a pretty recent one that is still, it's quite Question embarrassing. <laughs> Fiona, I think it's only fair that you've got right of reply for our stupid ref section and you've been very generous with giving an example of your own stupidity. But here's your opportunity to call out the stupidest player you've ever seen. Oh, there have been so many, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) It's the benefit of doing grassroots. I actually really love it. It's actually one of my favourite games ever. My first season, just after Christmas, so everyone's come back. It's absolutely freezing. It's actually at Minchinhampton. It is where Mike Tyndall plays, and it's a lovely club. And actually, they've just started up a girls' section that's doing really well. So uh, shout out to Minchinhampton. But I was doing their second men's team against uh, another seconds team. And the ball gets booted down the pitch, and the fullback collects it. And then, without word of a lie, he was in the 22, and he passed it to one of his players that was nearer the 10-metre line. Like It was the most forward pass I've ever seen in my life. And he passed it, and he just went, oh, like that. Like He knew he'd done something stupid. Everybody laughed, and I, I was doubled over, because I was like, that's just hilarious. And I'm like, lads, I think that might have been forward. <laughs> Scrum. But yeah, you get so many, but that's a particular favourite just because of the the whole temperature of the game was let's just have a laugh. That was a particular highlight. Everyone found it just hysterically funny and he got the most incredible stick for it. Understandably, the, that's stick of the day right there, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Stick of the season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it, that's gold standard dick of the day stuff. I've also, and this is sometimes why it's important that I say, call me sir, 
because mom turns into mum and the number of players, particularly embarrassing for the male, slightly younger ones that have called me mum, it's unreal. The stick they get from their mates, they're just like, mum, you called her mum. But yeah, so mum, unfortunately, is uh, sometimes a title I get brushed with, which isn't so great. So that's the title of your autobiography, Fiona, isn't it? It's just Call Me Mum. Call Me Mum, yeah. I'll send you the invoice. I could literally listen to you all day, but I do have to go and yeah, do my day I was job exactly, now. I was thinking the same thing. I've got so many questions and just love listening to the anecdotes. If your listeners had any questions for referees, I'm very happy to answer them. Just let me know. Fiona, I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It's been a fantastic insight. And also, obviously, you know, thanks for listening to the podcast as well. I guess the last mini question for me is, you know, what feedback do you have for us on the podcast? I think you're doing a tremendous job. It's so nice. As you, you say, the whole point of the podcast is it's, it's basically like sitting in a bar with a pint, chatting to your mates after the game. And it's one of the reasons why I do what I do is for those moments so to have it where I can press play and and often I listen to you on the way to a match because it's quite a stressful time and quite a nerve-wracking time as you drive towards a a club where you don't know anyone to be able to listen to the podcast and decompress and try not to overthink about about what's in front of you so no thank you very much it's a it's a great podcast I really enjoy listening to it and all the best with the future and keeping it going You've been watching the Women's Six Nations, Em? Yes. Yes. Well, actually, I missed most of the matches, but I've watched all of the highlights and most of the matches yesterday. Really good. Really good. I think it's been really good to see Wales competing well because there was a lot of hoo-ha, wasn't there, earlier on in the season about the Welsh Union not really supporting the Welsh team. And there was some pretty awful stuff came out about sexism within the RF, within the R, what's it called? WRFU. WRFU. That's the one. And it generally looked as if it wasn't a happy camp. But I thought the game against Ireland was an absolute classic. It was a brilliant game of rugby, particularly at the death. Good to see Wales coming through that. Yeah, we're going to see them on Saturday. Uh, Wales v England, yeah. Me, Dubs, Goose and Co. Going on a little trek before we play Darlington on Sunday. Nice. Where's the game being played? Uh, King's Home in Gloucester. Oh, nice. That's not too far either. Yeah, I think like you said, with the Wales, obviously, I don't know how many, is it eight of them that have got contracts now? Yeah. Say in four or five years, that will make a massive difference of of them being able to be full-time rugby players. And I'm sure that eight will turn into 15 and, and, you know, soon there'll be a full squad, hopefully. There's a really positive move for Wales and first year. And I think that whilst it possibly doesn't make too much impact this year, it will do in years to come. It's really good to see. Yeah, 100%. I think the biggest problem that the Women's Six Nations is going to have probably is that they've obviously done really well to get a headline sponsor. They've got the broadcasting sorted to some degree as well. So it's much more accessible than it was a few years ago. Um, but naturally, there's going to be some questions asked over the quality of the games, I think, when you've got you know, England and France very, very dominant and then the other teams still struggling. And I think it's going to be really challenging for the players to weather the storm that will probably come their way over. It's not competitive and all this sort of stuff. It's going to take quite a few years to get to that point. And Italy is still the bin juice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But But these central contracts are a great start, but it's still not enough. And it's still going to take a good couple of years for the effects of that to take hold, really. How long have England had central contracts for? It's been a good couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it on the back of the World Cup win? Could well be. Now, that's 2014. That's ages ago. I feel like there was so many that got it 
And then two years ago, even more, got it. I'll have a little Google. But either way, France have had it for a while. England have had it for a while. They give Wales some central contracts and look what happens. They start to win games. Where are Scotland and Ireland in that? And I know Ireland have had some problems too, haven't they? And it took them ages to get anything sensible out of the, the Irish rugby union. Yeah, I think Scotland have potentially on the cards. It all depends on the correlation between how many players they've got in the Prem 15. Uh, and how many are playing back in Ireland or Scotland? Because obviously they don't get as much game time. But obviously Ireland have struggled to qualify for the World Cup, haven't they? So I'm not sure how that will affect if they get contracts soon. It's a bit of a political nightmare, but I'm hoping that after the documentary for No Woman, No Try, it might start giving a bit more money to the game. So yeah. hopefully the contracts might come a bit quicker. Definitely. Have you seen that yet? Unbelievable. Is it? Please, no spoilers. I was waiting to watch it all together. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I'd watch it over and over again. It's very emotional and just well-written. And yeah, we definitely need to, after training's finished next week, the following Wednesday, get that sorted. Let's do that. I really want to watch it, but I want to watch it with people that actually care about it. You want to just watch it at home, it won't have the same effect. Yeah, and that's a great shout-out, actually, for other clubs. If you haven't watched it already, but you're still training each week, once you finish training, the next week after, why don't you just get together or get in your clubhouse or around someone's house and get some beers, get some pizzas. Don't invite Katie and um, watch it. <laughs> I think she's had a, had a fix of pizzas for a fair while. <laughs> well, she's like a teenage mutant ninja turtle, isn't she? They used to eat pizza all the time. Raphael. Or like Donatello or Raphael or something. Anyway, so I thought we'd talk about tonight the idea of changing position because this stage of the season when availability gets a bit tight and you know there's a way games start to bite i think what often happens is people are particularly the better players more experienced players having to sort of adapt to where the holes are in the, in the squad to get these games played and that can be quite stressful but also quite fun as well can't it me <laughs> last you're, game you're basically austin healy aren't you just sort of slot in wherever there's a <laughs> hole wherever yeah <laughs> where needed the weekend Sheffield played back for the first time officially for a while like for three or four years I stopped playing backs after I broke my leg and I was like it scared the hell out of me going to backs again I got a bit of a little bit of anxiety going to backs after it and thought it might happen again I thought oh this is not gonna be good I did all right I think I think thinking back in you were really good <laughs> really good yeah thank yeah, you. you you had a stormer of a game were you on the wing jade sort of i think <laughs> i was supposed to be there but i wasn't really not. staying there <laughs> yeah <laughs> like jody over here <laughs> yeah i kept forgetting where i had to be i'd say wing's not your strongest position i think you need to be closer to the action so if you came off your wing to do some damage in the midfield then that's probably a good use of your skills, I'd have said. So just going back to the Six Nations, actually, that Sarah Byrne try, as she came onto the pitch and she literally scored that amazing try after 30 seconds, was pretty decent. But her journey changing positions actually is really quite interesting. So although she's only 21, right? Oh How is that God, possible? I'm old enough to be a mother, pretty much. She started at age 11 as a prop and then got moved into the back row. Under 15s, she was a centre. Her under 20s career, she was a six. And then she was asked to move to be a prop. And she initially said, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I think that's what most people do when they're asked to be a prop. Yeah, never been a prop. That's why. That's why I retired. <laughs> 
And she says it took her one or two years to really get to grips with it and enjoy it. But she feels like she's not really a typical prop. And there's a bit of a stigma about it. I listened to an interview that she did. And she was saying that, you know, she played centres against Hannah Bottomer at county level. And now Hannah's tight head and she's loose head. That's quite an interesting change of position story. She didn't want to be a prop. But now she is a prop. She's absolutely bossing it. And look at that. All right, Luce, put your put your front row union card down. Stop trying to promote it. <laughs> But you know, I'm linking it into the Six Nations to prop life. Yeah. You can't get a better segue than that, right? <laughs> well, it's a bit like the wing for the backs. It's where we put the players that we don't know what to do with. Oh my god, ah, stop it. Don't don't let him bully you, Lou. Kim played prop for the first time. She did she latch. it. She didn't latch though, did she? She's like, no, oh, I'm not gonna bother. Hey, don't be mean to her. She's not gonna latch ah. today. No, she says she really It's not called it. a latch, it's a bad Sorry, I'm not a front row. <laughs> No, hats off to her. I couldn't be from She's hella strong like Kim, isn't she? Remember she hit me in training once. Bloody hell. Yeah. So, Dubs, yeah. you've played quite a few as well. What have you played? Second row, front row? Where else have you played? Uh, well, I started on the flank and then, yeah, moved into the second row. And that's what I loved. I loved the most. And then this season, they said, oh, can you ever go at hooker? And I actually, to be fair, I really enjoy that now as well. I'm pretty happy. Wait, so, out of all of those positions, which is your preferred one then? I feel really comfortable in second row. I, I was struggling, I think, kind of, as Lou said, there's kind of a bit of a, st- I don't know why there is a stigma around being in the front row. I think it's because everybody goes, oh, as you get older and slower, they'll just move you up. <laughs> you go, oh, right, you said that um, because I'm going to have him. I'm not having it. <laughs> it's really technical. You always I think, say Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, it's no, front, front row, it is. There's a lot more technical stuff and, and you've got to be a lot stronger in the front row than you have in the second row. And I didn't realise that until I'd moved into the hooking position. But yeah, I mean, fortunately, we've got some experienced front rowers who talk us through it and teach us the ropes so that's really helped but uh, but it's scary and you feel I think there's also probably a little bit more pressure in the front row because we kind of so much around the scrum collapsing or not getting the ball or not throwing the ball in straight and so you do feel there's probably a little bit more attention on you but but no I've loved it really really enjoyed it so here's a question for you if you could play any position and be awesome at it so body type speed all that sort of stuff isn't a factor you just you know you're just naturally suited to that position or whatever what would you go for? Oh, that's a tough one. The glory part of me, you know, when everybody says, so how many tries have you scored? <laughs> I, I want to be up in a position where I could score lots of tries so I can go, yeah. <laughs> Still, Molly no... doesn't just score tries from any position. Yeah, there's no glory in my second row life. <laughs> I don't know, actually. What's that, Laurie? You've set them all up. Ah, thank you very much, Lou. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, pop them off. Off your trot, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you take the glory. <laughs> you do the grunt work. You set it all up. Ready for the glory. How about you, Molly? If you could play, if you could just be awesome at any position, doesn't matter which one, what would you go for? Uh, full back. Yeah, I say that as well, you know. Yeah, I'd love to be able to kick. Like, you know, when you see them on the telly yeah. and they just gracefully catch the high ball with no effort. Yeah. Where meanwhile, grassroots, I'm there like trying to see it, first of all, then trying to take it in in the bread basket while, you know, getting absolutely clattered <laughs> by some beefcake on the other <laughs> team and then I knock it on. Some of the full backs... Just crazy, aren't they? They're rapid. They can catch. They can kick. They they cut the line. And I don't know. I think it just, especially when you're defending, fullbacks a very good position because you're right in the action. It's good though, but it's also um, bad because you're also last line of defence. Yeah, but if you're good at it, it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you miss that tackle, which is quite, it's very technically challenging tackling from fullback because 
they've got a big run up on you for a start. Secondly, you've got to fix at some point. If you fix and they sidestep you, you look like a right knob. Especially like when I was watching the Six Nations, I was like, whoa, I'd love to play like Ellie Kildon or something. They're, yeah, just, they're just so effortless, isn't yeah. it? How about you, Joe? Where would you play, yeah. play anyway? I don't know, but I'd like to have a go at playing nine at one point, just because it's a position I've never done before. Nine is fucking knackering. Is it? Okay, maybe oh not God. then. It's so tiring. I think I'd like to be... It's quite fun. How like, do you really? know that? <laughs> I used to play nine. I, was, I started at nine. My rugby journey, I started at nine, and then I went to wing for some reason. I can't even remember why. I lasted on the wing for a couple of games, and then I moved into centre. I played centre for ages, and I went fly half, and then I played fly half and full back, depending on who was available and stuff. And then as the weight increased and the skills decreased, I went eight and then second row. And then somebody asked me to play prop once. And I said, no, I'm going to, I, I don't play anymore. And that's the end of that. <laughs> but the position I love the most. Yeah. was probably fullback because like Molly said, it's just, you can go anywhere for a start, which is great fun. And then secondly, you get to use the full range of skills, but fly off is great fun. I like, I love playing fly off. But yeah, I've never really enjoyed forwards because, you know, it just seemed very uncouth, the whole experience, really. You know, lots of grubbing around in the mud and fighting and all that kind of stuff. Not for me. That's why I love yeah. it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I bet you'd just go for prop, Lou, wouldn't you? You'd just be like prop, born prop, die prop, live the prop life. You've literally read my mind. <laughs> I don't actually want to be in, in any other position. I just love being a prop. I've been born a prop. I will die prop. I love propping. Yeah. Really, you should be able to play any position. And I've often thought that, particularly in the forwards, that, okay, I suppose you've got the safety aspect with front row, but really they're interchangeable. And you can play second row, you can play flank. If you can play eight, you can play open side, blind side, and so on. But the most technical position of all for me is wing. People massively underrate how difficult wing is. And I always feel sorry for the newbies. They're literally a newbie comes into the squad and I think, oh, you know, we'll give you 20 minutes just to give you a bit of a taster for it and we'll put you on the wing. We'll put you like last line of defence before fullback. We'll put you in a position where you only get the ball twice a match. Put you in a position where you get a lot of heavy traffic, particularly on the blind side. Oh, and you have to catch high balls. Oh, you're going to get freezing cold. It's like, yeah, welcome to rugby. Yeah, and when you're freezing cold, you've got to put the most important tackle in of the exactly. whole match. Exactly. And you've only done tackling once. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All those teams out there, they've got a newbie. Don't put them on the wing for the first match. No. Not, where would you put them, though, if you, on that basis? Because we always put them on the wing, don't we, as well, even though I don't like it. Not the front row. Do you reckon, Molly? I don't know. I think centre's quite good because they're in the mix of it and they've got a 10 yeah. and a 13 either side. But yeah. it's quite hard because you don't want to put them in the front row. You don't want to put them in the second row because they get claustrophobic. <laughs> you don't want to, I don't know. Flank's quite a good position because you're kind of in the scrum, but not really in the scrum. Yeah. And if you go missing in the middle of the game, you're not leaving a gaping hole at 10 or 12, are you? So point. maybe flank. But to be honest, when you play your first rugby game, any position just blows your mind. Does. What was your first position, Dubs? I think I did flank. Uh, in the first oh, I remember now, yeah. As uh, Molly said, just no idea what on earth you're doing. You just Didn't you try and like, bind oh, on the eight? No, I don't think so. Don't take the piss no, out of me. I remember, you I remember somebody tried to find on the eight. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> How would she do that with her claw? <laughs> Leave the claw alone. For all of our millions of listeners, there's a very rare capture of the day, and that was the double claw. 
It was the double claw. It was a, <laughs> it was a special a moment. The picture. It was a special <laughs> moment. Not just one claw, but two claws. Normally, it's just on the ring finger, isn't it? But this time, oh, it was dear. both hands. So. It's just it's out of control. It's a claw unto itself. Oh. <laughs> He's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. <laughs> I, the rock. I, the river. I, the tree. I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. The Greeks had Socrates, Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby. This is where legends are made. Jez says. I don't even know how Where's everyone else? Well, I invited Jodie, but she doesn't come back. Joy's on a dirty weekend down in Bath. She's hired a houseboat with her new man in Bath for his 50th birthday. Mm. Oh, that sounds really out of Joyce's comfort zone. Oh, dear. Why is that? Man overboard. Mm. Yeah. She's going to have to be very careful at all times because it could capsize. Although it's quite a big boat, so it would take quite a lot of motion in that ocean for it to capsize. Oh, God. Like the little mermaid. Don't want to think about that, thank you. <laughs> so she's currently locked in the brig nice. on some ship down in Bath. Don't call knocking if the boat's rocking. Hope she's got a life boy. Snorkel. Yeah. <laughs> That's her word for it. <laughs> Lovely. So Sherry, first things first, where were you on Sunday? Which part of Sunday? The rugby match part of Sunday. I didn't have a hangover. Well, yeah, I tell you what, you, you start at the beginning. I really didn't have a hangover. I didn't. I was still drunk till about three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and then I just went from that to fine. I don't really get hangovers. No, honestly, it was reached for 18.30 the next day. I'd not really done anything. We weren't supposed to be going out on Saturday night. It was a last minute thing. So I planned to do all these things on Sunday morning, go and get him a cake, last few bits, all of that. It's honestly the truth, balloons and stuff. And then I was leathered, so how could I drive? I only could do those things once I sobered up. And so if I went to rugby on a Sunday when the shop shut at four, birthday cancelled because I couldn't have got anywhere. Ended up in the studio till four o'clock. I was just leathered. Four o'clock. Got in at four, so probably five when I got to sleep. Woke up at quarter past nine, wasted. Because, <laughs> you know, like those nights out when you weren't actually going out, so you're not prepared. It was one As of those. As in the best nights ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a good night. It really was. All the rugby people were out. I wasn't actually um, playing anyway. I wasn't picked to play. I wasn't selected because I didn't know till the last minute it was available. So I was only really shipped in to make up the other team because they, they then didn't have an opposition, if that makes sense. So it's not that I was letting the team down. I wasn't actually playing. Technically, I did nothing wrong apart from... Actually, I did very much right by not driving leathered and risking my licence. I already found out this week I've been driving around for a week with no tax and MOT. That happened to me. Yeah, couldn't go to work. Trouble finds me. Then a man squared up to me in the Wickstead, the weirdest weirdo you've ever seen. I was just about to stick the nut on him. Didn't know the girl from behind the bar had seen the whole thing. I nearly had a heart attack. The adrenaline kicked in so bad because I knew I was going to launch him any minute. I nearly had a heart attack. How the hell did that happen? Well, first of all, let me tell you about the tax thing. So I get an email. On Monday, I think it was, an email to say, by the way, your car tax did not renew. The direct debit has not rolled over. You need to sort it out. And I was thinking, how's that happened? It always renews itself. I don't have to do anything. Bizarre. 
So I was already stressed out, thinking, oh, my God, if I've got no tax. But I was obviously out working, so there's not a lot I could do. Went directly to the post office after two hours on on the phone getting directed by robots. I just needed to speak to a human. I couldn't cope. So I went to the post office and said, look, I can't cope. This is the email I've had this morning. Please tell me I've still got tax. I've still not managed to get to the bottom of. It's either you don't get reminders anymore or I didn't change my address. Which is it? Is that no. not a thing anymore, those brown letters? You get them online now. Yeah, you get Well, email. I had nothing. So how am I supposed to know my tax has expired when nobody told me? So I went to the post office anyway to try and deal with the tax issue. Gave her all my details. At this point now, I'm not in the main post. I've gone to the small one in Shaverton in the village. There's only two checkouts. There's a queue out of the door now of about 40 people. I'm melting down at this point. I've been at it all day, two hours talking to robots, just wanted to speak to a human. I was so happy that the woman could help me. I was nearly in tears because I was <laughs> at, at meltdown point. So she fills all the forms in for me and a form for a new logbook because I've also lost the logbook. Without the logbook, you can't tax a car. Driving around illegally, no tax, no logbook. She spends about 25 minutes with me because she could see him at breaking point, filling in the forms. By now, the queue's out the door because there's only one checkout being used. And all clear was, <sighs> and every time I turn around, there's another three people in the queue out into the car park now. So we go through all of this rigmarole. I've backed up the whole of Shaverton. Then she goes, <laughs> it was basically, you know that program where it goes, the computer says no. Oh, no. Yep, that. Oh, no. Computer says no. I just lose my shit with that. Why does the computer say no? I've got no tax. I'm driving around illegally. Why does the computer say no? Don't know. Have you given me the right reg number? So we go through it all again. The queue's nearly in Wimbury now. It's gone to extreme <laughs> levels. Did you and- say, I'm not leaving this shop until I've got tax? <laughs> she didn't actually have to say that to me. She knows now not to even say those words to me. She knows I am not leaving. Because I'd rung her up three times to tell her I was on the way and this had oh, to be dealt geez. with because I can't go to work now. So I'm driving around basically at the, I'm like this, like balaclava, oh no, oh no, <laughs> looking for police everywhere, knowing I'm illegal. <laughs> I felt like my car had gone neon. They're going to jump out of the bushes and find me. Even though I've been driving around with no tax for a week and didn't know, I knew now was the point. So anyway, we go through all the forms again and the queue is very stressed out on the other checkout. The woman is ready to have a glass of wine, I could tell. So she says, have you given me the right, Reg? Is this right? Is that right? I said, yeah, I've definitely given you all the right details. Then she goes to me, you have got an MOT, haven't you? I said, oh, yeah, I've got an MOT. I said, my van's brand new. So because I had it from new, I've never had to have an MOT because you get it included for the first three years. She said, well, how old is your van? I went, oh, it was three years old <laughs> on the 29th of March. It's now the 6th of April. Meltdown. Wouldn't let me buy tax because I had no MOT. This woman in the queue went to me, do you realise that's invalid your insurance? If you get pulled over, they'll seize your vehicle. I said, you know what? After the morning <laughs> I've had, they can fucking have it because I'll happily sit on the side of the road to get some peace and quiet. <laughs> so then obviously I had to come out of there, pull in a few favours from every mechanic in the county that I know and managed to secure an MOT for 8.30 the next morning. Oh, my God. I dread to think what you had to do to get that. Once I got the MOT, I was able to get tax, and now I'm legal. So that, yeah, it was a very stressful week. So there could be fines racking up left, right, and centre, but because I've not changed my address yet, they've racked up somewhere else. So if I don't do the next episode... <laughs> so also your says, driving licence is invalid because you've not changed your address. Yeah. So technically, 
there's a high chance I'm going to get arrested before we do the next episode. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I've been in a similar situation, Sherry. And then like a knock-on effect of shit, isn't it? It's like yes. a, yeah. Because it was like, where's the logbook? You can't get taxed about the logbook. Oh, no. Oh, no, don't believe it. Can't find the logbook. It's packed away in a box somewhere, but I didn't have the beauty of, oh, I'll find it. I needed it now. So it's cost me 25 quid for a new logbook. And then I was able to tax the car, but I had no MOT. Then I had to find a garage that could MOT ASAP. Yeah, it's very stressful. That's all dealt with now. And you've lost a day's wages. Because <laughs> I couldn't go to work because I found out I actually was illegal and didn't know it. So essentially all of this is Martin's fault because he sold your house without telling you. But you missed, Sherry. And there was a sizable crowd waiting to see this. See you legitimately tackle one of your own players. Oh, you missed, is that what was going to happen? You missed the chance. It's a team game. It was a win-win situation. I was supposed to tackle my own player with my own team. But you could do both. You could tackle your own teammate on the opposition team and yeah, well, on your own team. It's like a oh. double whammy. You missed I'm sure there'll be another one. I couldn't have come drunk and I couldn't have ruined Reef's birthday by going and saying, oh, sorry, you've got no card, you've got no cake. That was supposed to happen today, but we went out last night and I was actually leathered till three in the afternoon. <laughs> and I couldn't drive, but it's okay. You're only 18 once, so I wouldn't have gone out even, obviously, if I was playing anyway. But because I wasn't playing, it didn't really matter. Bad times. I don't understand how I got in at four o'clock. I don't know how that came about. It's very bizarre. I think we only went about three places. <laughs> so I went on to the volcanoes, and you know that isn't going to end well. No idea oh. how that happens, Sherry. No, Not I at don't. All. Volcanoes at my age. Oh, never a good thing. Scott told me at like 12 o'clock, anyway, nice to see you both. I've got to go now because Kate's picking me up, whatever. We went to the studio at half one and there he is. Thought you were going home, Scott. Yeah, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> it was a very <laughs> strange night. Anyway, we'll talk about changing positions tonight, Sherry, and uh, in the rugby sense, by oh, the way. Oh, right. Um, I knew this was going <laughs> to be a thing. Not sexual, rugby. <laughs> yeah, because we had a conversation earlier about this stage of the season when things are getting towards the end and everyone's a bit knackered and needs a break. People have got injuries and so on. Often you're asked to play out of position, which can cause a bit of anxiety, but also it can open your eyes up to So the anxiety is from the coaches when I moved around. I'm fine. <laughs> the coaches are not. It doesn't really matter what position I moved into. You just do your own thing, whatever position you're told you're in, right? Whatever position I'm moved into, I do exactly the same job anyway, so it doesn't really matter to me. It's that standing in the 910 channel. Yeah. No, don't do that anymore. I haven't done that for about 18 months. Am I imagining this, Sherry? Or was there a game once where you were put on the wing? Yeah, that's the game I got a yellow card in. Chester. Now, why the hell were you on the wing? Irwin thought it was funny. So the coach at the time thought it'd be funny to put you on the way. I didn't even get the ball. I never touched the ball. So you didn't even touch the ball. So you I did not touch the ball. So you placed on the wing and all you managed to achieve was a yellow card. Yeah. Took one <laughs> with the team again. Didn't even touch the ball. I literally did not touch the ball. Wasn't it persistent offside and yeah. you happened to be offside? But like eight people have been offside before you and all you did was like drift a little bit because you're out of position yeah. and you got yellow card. Yeah. <laughs> Great, just great. Didn't even touch the ball. So I don't think that experiment worked, did it? Presumably you've been on the pitch prior to that. You weren't just put on. Oh, no, yeah, I was second row before, but then I came off for a bit and went back on as wing. I was on for about five minutes, never touched the ball, got a yellow card and sent straight off. 
Did you go back on again? Or was it the end of the game by that no, point? No, that's it. It was the end of the game then. Full time. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's yeah. going to be the best changing position story ever. So, I mean, seriously, if there are listeners who've got a better one than that, I, I challenge you. Yeah. <laughs> Who gets the yellow amazing. card without touching the ball? Yeah. All in five minutes this happened. The moral of the story is I'm not a winger. No, this is true. So what positions have you played anyway? First row and second row and wing. I've probably played <laughs> others. I can't decipher one from the other. I don't know. Because whatever position I'm asked to play, I do the same thing. I'm still in the scrum. <laughs> I'm probably not supposed to be. I think in the past you've probably played 9.5 quite a lot. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> May have. You wouldn't know what I was playing. Only I know that. <laughs> Only you know the game you're playing. If if people stop you in the supermarket and say, oh, you play for Crew and Andrew's Ladies, don't you? What position do you play? Is second row the right answer? Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. Because I didn't know if I was supposed to say it by number because I don't know what number that is. Four or five. Four or five. Oh, good. I'm glad I know that now. I'll add that in next time. Oh, God. <laughs> How many years have you been playing? Maybe you're adding the two together and getting nine. That's the problem. No, I just always say second row. Now I'm able to say front row as well. I always thought you'd be good in the front row. I like it, yeah. I can't believe I've waited all this time to do it. It's the way Martin explained it to me. I thought I couldn't play front row because I only know second row. And I'd fuck front row up. But it's like one-on-one battle with the person opposite you. And I didn't know that. And so now the challenge has been thrown down. You know how competitive I am. I was like, my God, why has no one told me that before? So I'm basically challenging that one. I'll push you back further than you can push me. And that's it. It's all clicked into place. If someone had just told me that years ago, I didn't know that. And I love it. It's quite a simple role, really, front row. Yeah, exactly. That works well for me. Bend and push. No complications. Yeah, that's all it is. Bend and push, yeah, yeah. It's a bit more hygienic than second row. How is it? You're face to face. Your head's only going into a head, not a flap. <laughs> Your head's going to the side anyway. It's going yeah, between. Yeah, but you're still, you're still in the zone. No, your arm's in a flap, not your head. You're obviously doing second row very wrong, Sherry. No, it's not that. It's just, it's at eye level. You're up close and personal, aren't you, really? Yeah, so it's not too bad. You're closer to the air. You can breathe sooner at front row. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose your head doesn't get crushed quite as much. No, it's not too bad. The jaw, though. I don't know why. It's severe jaw. I don't know what's going on, but I like it anyway. <laughs> You're doing the same things on the pitch that you know how to do. It doesn't matter what you do in a scrummage. That could be slightly different or just second row. But what you do in open play is still the same, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. So you probably wouldn't know what number I'm playing because I, I just, <laughs> I don't play a number. I play the job. But yeah, it all works out well. So in netball, if I was playing goal defence and then I was moved to goal attack, I'm doing two completely different things, and I know that. So I always thought that's how rugby was. Oh my god, I can't do that because I only know how to play second row, and I've realised actually it's all the same. Yeah. So it's yeah, just apart. It's from good the advice. Scrum. Good advice yeah. for listeners. Yeah. Excellent. See, I do know what I'm on about. You do? No. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> dear Auntie Shez. Oh, God. Oh, God. First of all, thanks for bringing so much needed joy into my life. I've enjoyed listening to you, and since I lost my husband two years ago, oh, well, I assume he's lost, he popped out to buy some bits at the Home and Bargain January sale and never came back. 
Uh, I've struggled to get on with life, but you've helped me through this difficult time and made me realise I'm not alone in the lay-by on the A12. Where's the A12? I don't drive on motorways. So down, it's down in Essex you. in Cambridgeshire. Oh so. God, that's definitely... But I don't drive yeah. further than like Winnington. <laughs> that's my limit. I don't go past 40 minutes. <laughs> in any direction. <laughs> I started playing rugby last season and as a more mature lady I've struggled with two things Oh no First of all the younger ones in the team seem so much more inhibited than me I'm starting to feel like I should be on a register somewhere for showering in the altogether and none of them seem to know one end of a baby's arm from another Secondly referees seem to actually hate me I've worked hard to learn the laws and keep up with everything but I still keep finding myself with the yellow card for hands in the mall or high tackles, or dropping the scrum. So firstly, how do I integrate with my teammates better? And secondly, how can I stop getting in trouble every time I play? What do you mean inhibited? Like, in what way? Well, as in, they get, her teammates uh, are alarmed by how free and open she is. It's them with the problem, not her. She needs to avoid the baby wipes, keep showering. What can you do? She can't, like, shower fully clothed it's not going to end well if she goes the other way is it because she's no. going to become a swamp donkey and she's actually <coughs> clearly a very hygienic person she can't feel pressured to not wash just because they don't want to crack on get herself a new flannel <laughs> you sat low off with the idea of a bigger swamp dog <laughs> <laughs> What's going on the, the refs hate her refs hate her I have the same problem. I don't know what it is. Same trouble finds me. Okay, Lou. No. <laughs> what the hand gestures? You all right? No, you just no. there's no way around it. The only thing she can do is pretend that it was an accident. I, I do that a lot. <laughs> oh, what me? Really? Did I actually do that? That will work. That works ninety percent of the time. Just depends. If you get Sandy, you, you've had it because he's on. <laughs> me off the best thing is just say what act dumb really don't know what you're on about why can you not do that no matter how long she's been playing always say you've only been playing a couple of months when they say nice. you're new to the game even if you're not just put your hand up never admit to that that's good because they'll go easy on you then because you clearly don't know what you're doing because it's your first game they don't need to know how long you've actually been in the team <laughs> just turn a blind eye oh sorry sorry first game sorry that nah, i still do that now Get away with it because they can't tell it isn't. So that's good. I just play dumb. Having had newbies playing flank and I'm playing prop, there are some weird and wonderful bindings that have happened. And I'm literally like, you know, I can't, I think you're doing a great job, but I can't actually move my leg because you've just bound it into you. And I can't, I need that leg. Can you just get off it? <laughs> actually, there was a picture that went around the other day. I won't name the people involved, but I don't know what was going on with the binding, but it looked like a vet trying to birth a cow. It didn't look like a rugby <laughs> binder at all. It looked like the calf was breech and, yeah, and the yeah. uh, the vet was having to get in there and uh, and sort it out. It wasn't a pretty sight. Yeah, there's lots of strange things can happen. But anyway, I'm not sure you're on the call, Molly, but I've actually got COVID, so it might sound a bit broken. What, again? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not loving life. Oh, my God. Who have you caught no up idea, this time? No idea. No idea. Have you been licking people but, again? To be fair, I did go to a gig on Wednesday. I partied like it was 1996 with my son at a 
<laughs> gig for an old band that only people over 40 have ever heard of. Don't go to gigs and lick people. Yeah, exactly. Though. And it was like being amongst my people, but rather than being cool wearing our Shed 7 t-shirts and having our, our Oasis-style haircuts, we were all like 40, no hair, carrying a bit of timber. Not pretty sight, but we were all packed in pretty tight, so I reckon that could have been the culprit. It's like a vet's rugby scrum, was it? It, yeah, it was a bit like a 600-person scrum, yeah. It's had an unpleasant knock-on effect. Anyway. But at least you vaccinated on. this time. It's true. Yeah, it's a lot less bad than last time, but it still sucks. But anyway, Jodie, have you prepared a knock-on, knock-off for us? We missed it last time. I have, yes. Oh, I've I got knock-on, knock-off for you. I just want to give a quick ask around. If anyone knows any good names of rugby players on their teams that are sort of rugby-associated, please let me know. Just message in. Yeah, just get in touch with, with either... Facebook group or send a message to grassrootswomen at hotmail.com. Basically, Jodie, you just got to do your own research or you've got to give your personal email address out to the millions of listeners, which could end up with all kinds of weird things happening, which you may actually like in hindsight. <laughs> this may be like Jodie's like, happy day. Yeah. <laughs> the issue with having rugby players' names is I've got to go through random teams' Instagram pages, hope they've put a team sheet with their full name on and hope I find something. Go through the whole team <laughs> sheet, nothing there. Go for next week. Maybe they weren't playing this week. Get nothing there. Go to another team. I must have spent about two hours just getting those three names that I managed to find. So, yeah. Look, you're just going to stop me there, right? Mm-hmm. Each episode takes me about seven hours to produce. <laughs> so your two hours of research, frankly, <laughs> it's nothing. Think- so. I feel like Jodie's been very moany today, isn't she? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, vegan food, bah, bah, taking bah. too long. Yeah. <laughs> all right, no one help me, I'll do all the work myself then. Basically, nobody's been swiping left on your Tinder and you're a bit grumpy. Is that what's happened, Jodie? Yeah, I, sort of, I don't have Tinder. Why do you assume that everyone has Tinder? I don't have Tinder. What do I you just, have? What do you have? Be. So a special gay version? Yeah, Linda. 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 Grinder. Is that the moment for, for blokes? Yeah, I don't think I'd get on well with Grinder. Is there a female Grinder? Jesus. Brenda. Brenda. Oh, that's real, is it? Brenda. Sherry tagged me on Facebook today on Pistachio Lindor. Oh, no. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You haven't listened to the last um, episode. You won't yeah. understand that reference. <laughs> yeah. She's a, she's Thank, a thanks, Sherry. One. Anyway, Jodie, after your two hours of research to come up with this, we're all waiting in anticipation for it. So we shall start today with, which shall I go for first? Okay, so Rochester Aardvarks. Are they a knock-on or a knock-off? The Rochester Aardvarks? Mm-hmm. I knock really off. hope they are, but I don't think they are. <laughs> Do you know That's what, a great many, theme name. There's too many people here today, so I'm going to write your names down so I can keep score. I'm saying knock-on. I'm going to say knock-on. I'm going to say knock-off. Matt, Lou, Marl, Dubs. Okay. Knock-on? Yeah. Yeah. It's correct. Yes. It is a knock-on. No way. Get in. Really? Rochester. I'm terrible at this game. I don't think I've got one is right it, is it, are The Aardvarks, are they UK-based team? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Apologies. Where are the Rochester Aardvarks? Where are they from? What country? I'm going to go America then. Yeah, I'm going to go America too. Is there any other place I can think of that's got a town called Rochester? America for Matt and Dubs. Well, Canada has a lot of names as well, like ours, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Australia. I'll go Canada because I have absolutely Okay, no a point for Matt and Dubs. It is America, but yes. very close to the border of Canada. So, uh, no, I'm not giving you a point. Go on, then. Off. I never score in this game and I hate <laughs> losing. Yes, they are in New York. 
Rochester, New York. Ooh, it's very awesome. close to the border of Canada. Do you got quite a few listeners in America? Do we? Yeah. Oh, if listening for them. America, get in touch. We haven't actually interviewed an American team yet. We've interviewed one from Ghana, one from Australia. And we know some people in New Zealand. So that'd be really cool to inter- interview an American team. So get in touch. Did you know I've been to Accra? Then you pronounced it Accra. You said Accra. I was like, it's Accra. But okay, yeah. Oh, I've been to Accra. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like? It's nice. It's lovely. It's very uh, Ghanaian. Notice the sass there from Jodie telling you how to pronounce words. So. Yeah. <laughs> Another moan. Another, Another moan on the pod from Jodie. <laughs> Are you still hungry from the weekend, Jodie? Yeah, happening? I've not been fed yet. Yeah. That's what it is. Have you not? <laughs> All right. Get on Linda and you can get fed in a different oh. way. <laughs> Molly. Honestly, I don't know where that came from. I've not spoken to people all day. Not <laughs> all you can eat buffet. Yes, hilarious. That's Sherry's fault with the Lindor. Yeah. I can't even go what she said to me. She's oh, getting God. worse. It wouldn't be. make pre war shed. Right. Well, Sherry wants to make the doors at Harrison's for us. Can you imagine? We'll have no bloody yeah. customers. I hope you said no. I haven't said yes or no. I don't. They won't get in because she'll just talk them to death before (laughs) she actually get through. And then they'll just be like, no, sorry, got to leave. Nah, (laughs) that's not for me. Dogging's not for me. (laughs) Actually, speaking of which, one of you asked me the other day about which of our episodes performed the best. So I hadn't really thought about it. So I I looked it up. And basically, our listeners are all wrong-uns. The majority of our listeners are wrong-uns. Any episode where in the right. title there's some reference to body parts, sex, drinking, basically something a bit naughty, and everyone listens. I put something serious out there, and people are like, meh, I want to hear about disgusting injuries, and I want to hear about Molly's Tuesday nights when Josh hasn't got his finger in a, some kind of plaster. I didn't know what you were going to say that. Yeah. That's what the viewers want. I'll tell Josh that he's got to do an injury a month just to keep everyone hooked. So we're going to have to come up with more and more salacious subjects just to keep our listeners growing. Well, actually, on that note, did you see about the guy that got the lines flag in his Oh, my God, I saw that. Yeah, he's got it out. I need to find it. I'm sure it was a rugby team. Katie posted it in the chat. It was vile. So what actually happened? I don't know. I just saw the picture of him getting it taken out, but I don't really know. It looked very grim. And I thought it was a bit of a joke at first. I thought someone had just kind of like taped it on to make it out like it had gone through his leg, but I'm pretty sure it went through his leg. Somebody stabbed him with a linesman's flag, basically. Yeah, it was a freak accident, apparently. Is this an episode of Stupid Ref? More like (laughs) homicidal linesman rather than Stupid Ref. Brilliant. And now, we remember our fallen teammates who laid down their mobility and dignity in the noble struggle against the tyranny of skill and athleticism. Jen Laws, Stourbridge Panthers, torn meniscus. Chez says, through a Nantwich ladies, missed the game, are still drunk. B. Hellier, Exeter Saracens Concussion Lara Jackson Stourbridge Panthers Suspected Ruptured ACL Laura Exeter Saracens Torn ACL and Lateral Meniscus The whole squad Also Exeter Saracens 
severe allergy to availability poles. They shall grow not cold, as we that are left grow cold. Breakdowns shall not weary them, nor the muds condemn. At the going down of the scrum and in the mauling, we will remember them. To our fallen comrades, we salute you. Anyway, sorry, Jodie. Back to knock on, knock off. We've digressed. So, yeah. Rochester Aardvarks, New York, points to Matt, Lou, and Dubs for bonus points. So, and a half. And, and a half, you. sorry. Oh, thank you. Next up, we have San Diego Rugby Club. San Diego. Mm-hmm. Knock off. Yeah, knock off. This is like the biggest red herring ever. <laughs> yeah, and you just did a... I'm going to go knock on. I'm trying to get into Jodie's mind, which is a disturbing and twisted place. Yeah, it wouldn't. Knock off. Knock off. Only point goes to Matt there. It is a real rugby club. Fuck's sake. Can you tell me which country they're in? San Diego. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Spain. Surely they must be in the uh, <laughs> US. Hmm. Although, yeah. I'm just saying nothing because I know nothing about geography. And I've just disgraced myself. <laughs> Anyone want to have a guess? I'm going to go America. I'm tapping out of this game. I've given up. Matt, Lou, what are we going for? Spain. USA. It's Argentina. Oh, that was my next one. Damn it. Uh, Oh, yeah, your next one. Yeah, close. It was. Okay. Chihuahua RFC. Chihuahua RFC. God, that's quite hard to say, actually. Sounded properly warranting then, Jodie. Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Knock off. Knock on. Knock off. Mole? Pass. Mole, you're not going to get any points if you don't get a guess. 50-50 chance, Mole. Knock off. Yes, Mole, you got the point. It's a knock off. Yes! <laughs> I'll take that. Woohoo! Oh, it's all good when she's bloody winning, isn't it? <laughs> That's why we play rugby, to win. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have just, sorry, found the rugby league player suffers freak injury as corner flag gets impaled in his leg. Oh. <laughs> That's nasty. He did score a try, though. At least Every it wasn't time. a wasted game, then. He got the corner flag in his leg while scoring the try, or he scored a try and yeah, then Yeah, try then impaled. Man, that is literally taking one for the team, that isn't it? Yeah, that's Trump Josh's uh, nail and finger. But it makes his finger look like a proper primary school injury, doesn't it? Really? Anyway, sorry, Jodie, I've ruined your game. It's okay. It was just it was a digress. Is this why you're not paying attention? Because you're actually searching up horrific injuries. Well, no, because I wanted to make sure that our millions of listeners didn't think I was making it up. So I'll post it on the gram. Post it on the gram. I have another rugby club called Ball in Rome. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's, where's Chihuahua first? We haven't, that's the same where that is. I made it up. Or was it fake? That's why Molly screamed. Get with the program, up. Sorry. COVID. COVID brain. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ball in Robe, RFC. Ball in Robe? It's spelled exactly the way I'm saying it. Ball in Robe. Knock on. Knock on, Knock off, Matt. Laura? Knock on. Knock on. Yep, correct. It is a knock on. No. Can you tell me what country it's in? Ball in robe. Ball Australia. R O B E. B A L L I N R O B E. Ball in robe. All one word. All one word. France. A good shout, Molly. I'm going to say Nordics. I'm going to go with Sweden. Uh, no, you're correct. It's Ireland. Mm. It's uh, just north of Galway. 
Wow. Informative, this game, as well as fun. Yeah, you find out so much. Joinville Rugby Club. Joinville. Joinville Rugby Club. Knockoff. Knockoff? Yeah. Knockoff. 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 There's your chance to win, Dubs, just by saying what everybody else doesn't say. Yeah, knock on. Knock on. Uh, Correct, Dubs. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) And can you tell me the country of origin? Uh, If it helps the word club end in an E. Oh. Let's go Spain. Okay. France. Do we have to guess now? Yeah, you can guess. You don't have to. No, I'll pass on this one. Okay. I don't know the answer. Okay, so the answer is Brazil. No. Molly, do you ever know the answer? <laughs> I'll pass on this one. I don't know this. <laughs> no, I don't know the answer. I know, honestly, my geography's as shit as Lou's. I have no clue where places are. And also, you're very slow at Googling. <laughs> <laughs> you cheating bastards. And also, FYI, Sarah Burns not 21. I felt really, really old. She's 24. Oh, loads of difference. <laughs> yep. Well, if you look at Mako, he looks about 50, but he's how old? He's frighteningly young, isn't he? Is he still in his 30s? Honestly, it just makes me feel wow. pretty good about it. It's like my he didn't go to a normal advisor. primary school. He went and just worked on the, you know, on the roads <laughs> or something, didn't he? Right, yeah, on the oil rigs <laughs> tough, from birth. Tough, tough gig. He needs yeah. some both blocks. He's had, a, he's had a tough life, yeah. 31 years old. Man. What? Oh. 31. He's had a tough paper round, hasn't he? Well, no, oh. just a tough rugby career. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. He's, he's worked hard. Can you imagine what he's going to be like when he's in his 50s? He'll probably look exactly the same, to be honest. He's probably just peaked. <laughs> yeah. he looked like, yeah, Martin Lawrence, but, like, way more Martin wrinkles. Lawrence. You mean Martin Johnson? Oh, Martin Johnson. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm the one who's got COVID round here, not you. Very good. Thank you, Jodie. I do have one more. Oh, have you? Sorry. I haven't given you oh, a yet. Yeah, you just interrupt all the time. It's fine. Sorry. I've just got to kick off about that now. Moan! Jodie has actually got sand in her vagina. Cranky. Okay, why did get there? The last one I have is Come Wanderers. <laughs> what, really? Shut up. You've made that up, I hope. Come Wanderers. Spell C-W-M. Oh, I see. Knock on. Knock on. All knock on? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. It is a team, but it's a football team, I'm afraid. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just north of Neath, actually. Yeah, Welsh. Wales. Yeah. Do you know there's a place in Argentina where the first language is Welsh? Uh, Patagonia. What? That is Argentina. Yeah, that's the place that you're referring to. No, it's a town in Patagonia. Wait, what? Patagonia is like a massive place. I thought Patagonia is the place where they speak Welsh. No, Patagonia is a region of Argentina. This is why I don't do geography. Welcome to the geography uh, podcast, everybody. <laughs> Tune in next week for history. <laughs> yeah. The winner is Matt for that one. There we go. Completed. Matt always wins this because well done. Matt. You got two and a half points though, Mol. Yeah, it's better than last time. Bad. Bloody terrible. Yeah, there you go. Trevelin is a town founded by Welsh immigrants in Patagonia. So it was founded in May 1865. Thank you, Jodie. Fun as always and educational. This is Molly's Grassroots Salute. We've become a bit famous and uh, we're now getting voice notes sent in. And also, can we shout out people? So I've got a quick shout out, some voice notes that Matt, you'll have to work your magic 
with and put into the pod and then also a, a big grassroots salute so first of all Kyra Hill apparently absolutely loves our podcast. Her girlfriend messaged Beck and said that her girlfriend absolutely loves our podcast, listens all the time. She's the captain for Didcot Valkyries. How do you say it? Valkyries. Yeah, this is why I don't speak. <laughs> and they had a really, really good season. And basically, she just wanted to give her a shout out because she's a, a pod worshipper. So, Kyra, thank you for listening to us. Kyra, thank you. Great to Hi, hear Kyra. from Didcot. There used to be a terrible railway station in Didcot, Didcot Parkway. I used to have to constantly change trains out when I was travelling. Well, that's ruined the shout Another, out. another exciting uh, update from Matt. Kyra and Beck, I'm sorry that Matt's just shit all over your <laughs> shout outs. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Matt, can you not ruin this with some shit geography fact about railway stations? <laughs> you can't guarantee it, but go ahead. <laughs> Okay, um, so Litchfield ladies have got two teams. They've got their reds and their greens. And two players played their last game this weekend against Kenilworth, believe it or not. Uh, so Kate Edwards led her ladies out against Kenilworth for the last time. And then another player that finished her career was Ros Germain. And it was her 200th cap for the club. And she retired on that, which is amazing. That's awesome. 200 yeah, so- games, that's a lot of games. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Me and Dubs are going to work out all the crew caps over summer. That'd be good. <laughs> Who do you reckon's got the most caps? I don't know. I was thinking potentially someone like Kez. I would say definitely Kez. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because she's been yeah. there right from the very she beginning. Has. Yeah, and also had a lot less injuries than other people. So, well, apart from her mouth, when a whole year out. One of her teeth out of Goose's <laughs> yeah. face. Another injury for the. Uh, <laughs> the accolades today and then the main grassroots salute goes to Sheffield ladies obviously that's who we played on Saturday but it was just incredible so they were celebrating 25 years of ladies rugby at Sheffield which is just an amazing thing they had their second team playing at about half past 10 followed by girls matches then we had our game which was obviously Sheffield's first team and then the men played at three o'clock after and they had lots of balloons big celebration massive crowd just a really good event and I just thought 25 years of women's rugby that is incredible that is incredible and they've got two teams and you know when you think about it we're what are we eight nine years in nearly and all Joe you can talk about is the fact they've got no vegan food yeah, so sorry about that, Sheffield. No, We're just not uh, sorry about that, Sheffield. You need to up your game. <laughs> <laughs> right, Matt, I'm resigning from grassroots right. to leave. I've got a no, shout I'm out thinking. as well. Can I give a quick one? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so, <laughs> Might as well. To Tia Shrimpton at Yeovil RUFC. She put a note on Twitter earlier today that got quite a lot of, I said earlier this week rather, and her message was, this bitch, you couldn't even start a home game, let alone travel to away games a couple of seasons ago. Played a whole season this year. It seems small, but it's actually a really big deal for me. Hashtag anxiety. And loads of people piled in. And not only has she managed to play a full season, um, but she's also been vice captain. And by all the looks of it, uh, she's done a fantastic job. So a lot of her squad members were commenting about how great a job she's done. So Tia, that's great to hear. It's a big deal to overcome things like that and uh, and manage to do a full season and all of the challenges that entails. So well done. Smashed Smashed it. it.
This is Grassroots News with Lou. It's slim pickings this week. So apart from the obvious Six Nations, amazing news, 50 tries for Emily Scarrett. That's an amazing, amazing result. Particularly Um, given that she come back from a really serious injury. There's been a load of support and fundraising for Maddie Lawrence. Lots of clubs this weekend that just gone have had minute silence and there's a lot of fundraising going on. So that's a bit of serious news and a lot of support out there going out. For Lou's news, you know, I, I troll social media and I, ha- I do have a look. But on the Women's Rugby Network, there seems to be some disturbing things. So there's some geezer doing some limboing which is quite impressive, but pretty shit. There's a chainsawing video, which was fairly mesmerising, but also a bit shit. There was some guy sort of chainsawing a sex chair out of a tree stump, which was mildly amusing, but also a bit shit. So um, Women's Rugby Network, you need to sort your shit out. And whoever's your admin, you need to get back on the game. Maybe she's got COVID don't know i also saw some like dating network being advertised on there the other day i wasn't sure it's was a, a sort of rugby only dating network interesting yeah luckily jody doesn't have facebook or she'd have been on it straight away so whoever's admining maybe that's why i'm out. single i need to get facebook again i probably wouldn't well that's where i met my most recent partner is through instagram is it yeah how did you manage that followed her and then and then just sent her a dm saying thank you for it want to meet yeah. up followed her Stalked her. Classic. Sliding into the DMs. Yeah, yeah. Fancy coming to the Mega Bowl in Stoke. <laughs> Why do you think I go there? I don't think I've ever been to a date in Stoke before. That's... That was one of your dates. You went to the Mega Bowl in Stoke. It wasn't. You didn't go for dinner because you're eating disorders. You just had a glass of water and a, and a couple of frames of bowling and then went home. <laughs> oh, hey, Joe. Sean and I went on a date there. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like an anniversary date thing, so it had been going out for a while. That'd be a good conversation, actually. What's the shittest date you've ever been on? Whoa. I am not saying that's a shit date. I loved it. Right. <laughs> Although I Go am on. shit at bowling, so. Can I add to Lou's shout-out? Because I think it, what was really nice about the Maddie Lawrence situation this weekend was that obviously loads of clubs were getting photos of them doing the minute silence or we did a minute's applause, but a lot of teams also retired their number 11 shirt. And I think oh, what yeah, was really did, nice yeah. from our club perspective is that our men's team also did it. And I think that was that was a really nice gesture to show that it's kind of one club. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although one thing I will add actually, and this is actually quite important, is that obviously when the press came out, the reporting of that tragic situation very much implied that it was rugby that was at fault for the death, which it wasn't. It's only come to light recently. The More information has come out, yeah, that whilst she did end up in hospital following a rugby incident, it was in no way life-threatening. It's what happened in hospital subsequently that caused it. And it's amazing to see the rugby family, as they always do actually, rally rounds and all the different tributes and all the different messages from top pros and the fundraising and so on. That's absolutely brilliant, as always it is. But I think that message didn't get round quick enough because rugby does suffer sometimes from an accusation that it's dangerous and reckless in some situations. Um, And it's important to sort of get that message across that where there are mega serious injuries are extremely rare. And whilst not impossible, it's not a disproportionately dangerous sport compared to some other more contact-based sports. So that's true. Continuing our series of the blueprint for building a team. I thought we'd look at approaches to training because once you've got a team together, then the way you go into training 
particularly you know, considering the stage of the season you might be at. It's really important to get it right, isn't it? Dubs, I'm going to start with you because you're the newest recruit, really, to rugby amongst us, aren't you? You came into a se- season as well mid-flow, didn't you, rather than sort of starting at the start, as it were. That must have been pretty intimidating, was it? Yes, it was very scary. And I will say thank you to you, Matt, because you were very uh, approachable. When, and I would say it was me that first contacted you, but it wasn't. It was Sean. And it did take me three weeks to get to, to actually come and play. I suppose it's the benefit of having a really nice kind of diverse team of people who are at different levels is that I was never made to feel, oh, God, you clearly have no idea what you're doing. I mean, people might have been saying that behind my back. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was as soon as you kind of just hit the ground running and just get stuck in. And I always say when we've got new people joining our team, don't worry, it's perfectly normal to just be running around going, I've no idea what I'm doing. I'm constantly in the way. I'm just having people shouting at you and in a nice way and, and like pulling you around, telling you where to go. In the last two weeks, we've had two new people coming, one of whom is the mother of one of the women like yeah she's just gone 19 and we were like it's a bit harsh that you've joined us at this stage in in the season where we're like super intense because we really want to win these last couple of games firstly I suppose now you know it might have been a different matter if we'd had a development team when I started but I suppose you just got to either sink or swim haven't you really but in terms of the style of coaching and and what you kind of need to learn when you're first new to the setup what advice would you give other teams that are perhaps looking at getting started I suppose what was good from my perspective is because we had a number of different coaches that were involved in different levels, if there was like a really technical thing going on, we always had somebody else that could take people that were newer off to do some of the basic techniques. So you always felt like you were still learning. You weren't just standing there watching people going, I've no idea what everybody's doing. And I think that for new people who are starting, that you know, recommending that they, they come and watch some games that you're playing and they watch some games on TV and things like that so that they really start to see and understand kind of when you're doing things in in training how it then translates into a game so those things were I think really really helpful for me I think from a coach's point of view so when you've got new people joining an existing club skill zones and breakout sessions for the ones who are newer to the club are invaluable actually because you can take one two four five you know a few out that maybe haven't done a certain skill and then like hone in on that specifically but it doesn't have to be long two three four minutes and then back into the main session and I think that's a really good tool. Molly you know you've been you're an experienced coach as well as a player these days aren't you what do you think is the best approach that a coaching team can take when embedding new players? Remembering that not everyone's the same so you know like when you're at work as a stuff people pick up different things and they learn differently so you might coach one person one way and it might not work for the other person. So you could explain a ruck to somebody verbally and they'll be like, yeah, get it, go do it. Then the next person, you might have to physically show them. It might take 10, 15 minutes. It could, you know what I mean? So I think you have to be flexible and remember that not everyone is the same and it can be quite difficult sometimes to keep everyone engaged so I think you know Matt you've done this loads of times before you've taken groups of two or three people done a bit of a breakaway session and then put them back into the main session and I think that can be really good because they get some one-on-one coaching time and you can really tailor your approach to those individuals specifically. That's a great shout I think what I'd probably add to that is is a good idea to almost have a set curriculum. You know when you start a new job, when you go through an induction, you go and meet so-and-so and you do some training on the system and you get the GDPR person to come in and tell you not to send data to clients and this sort of stuff. 
you kind of need that with rugby a little bit. You kind of need players to go through a set curriculum, but there also needs to be checkpoints along the way. Because some, like Molly absolutely pointed out, people learn at different rates and people are naturally better at certain things than others. So Laura, from memory, you pick things up very quickly and I didn't have any concerns about your commitment to and competence in the contact area from quite an early stage. But that said, there were some probably technical parts or some basic skills stuff that you may have skipped over a little bit because once we thought, ah, you know, you're not a dickhead, you're not going to get your head smashed in in training so we can throw you in a bit earlier than perhaps you would other players. You may have missed a few development steps along the way, possibly. I think that's really important that you kind of keep that commitment. So just because they can make a tackle doesn't mean you've taught them to pass properly. The reason I've thought about this, because I've started coaching juniors recently, and it was shocking to me the other day where they're playing pretty much full contact matches now with the exception of you know, scrums and lineouts. And not one of them was able to support their own body weight in the Tower of Power, which was shocking because it had just been overlooked as a fundamental part of the, of the game. So when we were teaching tackling techniques, the ones that were naturally confident were just flying in with their faces and in making the tackles fine would, would probably at the risk of hurting themselves. The ones that were missing tackles weren't causing too much drama because they were good at other stuff, I guess. So in other words, a big part of the game, they were lacking in competence in. So I think it's really important to kind of have that set set goals or set competency standards that a player should have over a course of sessions and that to be done even if the players think, oh, why am I doing this? It's boring, you know. Molly often kind of, and a couple of other people have also done like earlier sessions to our main training and it's not just designed for newbies it's designed for anybody that wants to come and just refresh on some of the basic skills that you kind of take for granted that people already know but then you're like actually if you haven't done it for quite a long time you can just become a little bit lazy or your body forgets exactly how you're meant to be doing things so I think one of the other things that I've seen probably a bit more is people realizing where their strengths lie in what they're bringing to a team so especially with some of our newer players I think they're kind of like oh well I'm not going to be able to keep up around the pitch. I'm not going to be able to kind of run around as much. And I was like, but that's maybe not your strength right now. Maybe your strength is being able to kind of drive through players because you're taller and you're stronger. But over time, as you do more and more of this, you will get better and better at that. So it's not being too harsh on yourself to start with because you've got to pick these things up as you go along. Totally. Jodie. I remember when you first started, obviously you came into the squads and we did what everyone always does with a new player and stick you on the wing. I think you've played wing a little bit before for league as well, haven't you? It was genuinely like, maybe life changes a bit strong, but it definitely changed the squad dynamic when we realised that actually you were better suited to the forward positions. Moving you to, you know, I think it was second row or back row made a massive difference to your overall contribution. How did you feel you were coached and trained to, to kind of learn what your strengths and weaknesses were? I think, obviously, like you say in the beginning, you just put yourself on the wing because you don't really know where you're going. I think if you start, you've only been playing for two or three years, you probably haven't even found your position yet because there's so many positions that you could try out that you have a skill set in. But I think when we go off and do forwards and backs, it sort of hones in on the different skills and tells you a bit about the role itself. So I don't know when I first became a forward. It took me a while to figure out actually and no one explained how to be a forward. I remember being in the second row and going into a scrum and it was Holland's head as a prop. No one told me where to grab. 
I had no idea where I was supposed to grab. I just watched it from a distance and thought, oh, okay. And I ended up grabbing a crotch, but she's never let me live it down. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure you had an innate <laughs> concept of where to go, Jodie. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, it never occurred to me that you grab the shirt. I just went in for the crotch because that's where I saw everyone's hands go. I never it, actually knew where it, it went. Grab a snap? Yeah. Was this before or <laughs> after the mega bowl at stake, Jodie? I should have taken it to that first before I start grabbing a crotch. <laughs> a bit unfair, really, isn't it? She's taking for dinner. Uh, actually, Lou, speaking of which, so, mm-hmm. no, she's not speaking of which at all, but... Of what? You and I always joke, don't we, about the technical aspects of front row play, and, and I always say... Yes, you always take the easy, person, it's a joke. and you say, oh, um, the dark arts. <laughs> like, it really is technical, but, you know, what would you know? The serious point in, in all of that is that coaching forwards play, and particularly front row play, I don't think it's something you can do confidently having just gone through level two. I played all of my rugby play career in the backs, despite what my shirt size might have suggested. You would kind of be expected to then be yeah, able to totally. coach, pack, play, front row, whatever. I, d- I just don't think you can unless you've actually got proper experience of it. It's much more difficult than people realise. You might have your level two RFU. But unless you've actually played the front row, you don't know all the... Oh, God, I was going to say the ins and outs of it. You know, I think unless you've got experience of the the position, it's a tough thing to coach that. Totally. But what I would say then, on on that note then, for coaches that are listening or for players that are getting a coach in, it's really important that the coach you get doesn't have that... I don't want to use the word arrogance, but I'm going to say it. That arrogance that... thinks that they know it all because I must admit when I first started coaching the women's section I was really resistant to having specialist coaches I didn't want people coming in with their own ideas I didn't want some of the personalities that that were around coming into, into the squad and so on but in hindsight it was massively important that we had people that really understood specialist aspects of the game so if you've got them in your club use them tap into that experience that's a brilliant thing so you might have like when I first started playing rugby we had this coach called Rocky and he'd been like a prop for 30 years or something and he wasn't great at a lot of things but what he was good at was propping you know and so he taught the rest of the props or the people who were potentially going to be props how to do that and you don't need to be a qualified coach to show people how to do that specialism but you can impart your years of wisdom onto newer players. So what sessions do you guys enjoy the most? The ones in the bar. <laughs> Mine is the ones where you actually feel like you've progressed as a team. So like sometimes you can go to a session and nothing sticks. None of the handling works. None of the moves work. Everything just seems a little bit messy. And then you maybe have a couple of weeks of that. And then one session, just everything goes right. I enjoy that the most when everyone seems to come away with a smile on the face. There's not much frustration. Everyone's happy and everyone's put a shift in. Yeah. I think anything that's short and intense, I enjoyed the most to coach. I thought that was the most representative of gameplay in some respects. It can be a lot of standing around, particularly in the, you know, you play in the backs. Sometimes you just spend the whole time standing around. You know, you try and run something through, gets dropped at second receiver, back you go again. You know, if you're out in the wing or playing the fullback, it can be pretty dull, you know. So anything that involves intensity works for me. How about you, Dubs? You're obviously getting relatively new to it, but you've seen different coaching styles over the last couple of years as well. What works best for you? Um, yeah, I think that thing where you kind of, you start off with the 
everybody trying things it's not really working and then you get some feedback and you try different things and and you kind of mix it up a little bit as well so if it's not working then adapting it and then trying something different I think that works really well and like introducing something new into it even if it's just something as simple as right in between that you're going to go and run around the posts and then you're going to do it again and then you're going to run around the posts again and do it again so that it's making it harder for you even if it's so it stops it being that repetitive thing you've got to Keep the players guessing, in my experience, fun, but not too much fun, if that makes sense. I think some coaches, they, you know, they, they play warm-up games and then those warm-up games take half the session and you don't get a lot done. That can be quite frustrating sometimes to watch. I've certainly worked with other coaches where they put a lot of emphasis on that and you just feel like you're waiting for the real session to start sometimes. Other than that, I have a plan. I think that plan doesn't need to be rigid but I certainly felt like I coached better when I had a plan even if I didn't use the plan it's almost as if the coaching plan I had in my pocket gave me confidence to adapt it whereas I went and try and winged it people knew (laughs) no you've definitely got to have a plan that's absolutely essential yeah one of the things I spoke I spoke to Sean about it like this season is I think it depends on the where you are in the season as well so I think you know sometimes your training session might be reactive to how you've played in the last week and you're like actually this is something we really need to work on and that's really nice as well because then you see that it works really nicely in the next game but when we were like before all the games started I said well one of the things that I think works really well is if you you're going to focus on something but more than one week so you might do three weeks on the bounce where you're building and building and building so that when you get to the end of it, you kind of go, God, yeah, I can really see how we've progressed rather than just dipping in and out and, and chopping and changing all the times. Actually, sometimes it's if you've got the time and it obviously depends on where you are with the season to actually build. Um, I think that has, you know, yeah. repetition is key in terms of making it stick in your brain. I think as well, like looking at some of your parts, like working out what your team is capable of doing. I think some coaches fall into the trap of trying to play sort of total rugby and trying to emulate, you know, the best team they've ever seen or played in or whatever. And sometimes your team isn't suited to that style of play, whereas it might be suited to a completely different way of playing the game. And I think coaches like lack sometimes the confidence or the creativity to think, you know, we're going to do things differently based on players that we've got. I think sometimes you can unlock things. Certainly found that in the past when we've come up with little plays that unlock either a deficiency in our team or maximise a player or a couple of players who are particularly effective at certain things. A superpower. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think using that and think, but not just thinking about it on an individual basis, but thinking about it on a squad basis and getting the players to actually feed into that because I think players know themselves what they like doing or what they don't like doing. I mean, I used to get, tear my hair out about our inability to maul. I remember you saying to me once, Lou, we don't know how to do it and we don't like it. <laughs> Right, (laughs) let's not do that. Well, I I quite like it, but no one else did (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Exactly, but you know, that feedback, you know, joking aside, was necessary because otherwise, I was just going to keep trying to get you guys to do something that you weren't particularly keen on doing or suited to doing. Still, maintain that it's a great weapon. I think something that you just mentioned there about kind of recognizing what people's strengths are. So, Katie and Josh were before we went to Sheffield this week, they kind of messaged us with two things that they wanted us to focus on. It was a really nice like confidence booster because it was like, you're good at this, so do this. Or you can really benefit the team if you do more of this. And then they said, okay, put some you know third in that you want to do. And I thought, actually, that's really nice because it's kind of positive reinforcement, but it's also still asking people to develop. Yeah, that's the total superpower thing. It's like, do you recognise your own superpower? If not, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> yeah, do more of that. 
So we have this week reached 10,000 downloads of the podcast. So a big thank you to all the listeners for listening to us talk shit and hopefully you get something from it, either it's good or bad or just to laugh every time you come and listen to us and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Woo! 10,000! We really need to have a party to celebrate this. Thanks so much for listening to episode 19. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions. If you want to feature on the podcast, please get in touch at grassrootswomen at hotmail.com. This was Grassroots, women's rugby on the roots up. Rugby is hard enough without your equipment letting you down. From badly fitting shirts to shorts that cut off your circulation... Many sportswear manufacturers haven't worked out how to make kit that fits for the rich variety of women's shapes and sizes. After years of development, feedback and research, Halbro have done what many bigger sportswear brands have yet to achieve, designed a playing kit specifically to fit the female form. With curves in all the right places, four-way stretch and a cut to suit all shapes and sizes, Halborough are uniquely placed to give your team the shirts they deserve. For more information, contact Fergus at Halborough.com. To learn more about what Halborough can do for you, and to see some amazing case studies, visit www.halborough.com forward slash women's hyphen rugby. And don't forget to mention Grassroots 